You better be listening to Slezoids or I must break you. This is the emergency broadcast system. We are under attack by conventional forces of the Russian army. It is believed the lead waves were disguised as commercial charter flights. Communications have broken down other parts of the country. Large areas of the Midwest may have been overrun. You're 40 miles behind the enemy lines. I just want to go home. In Rocky IV, he fought for his country. What the hell is this? Now, Dolph Lundgren is taking off his gloves and taking on an entire army, one man at a time. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature Grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise. And at the end of each episode, along with our honorary Sleezoids, you can become by subscribing on Patreon. Next week, we are covering some X-rated cartoon movies, apparently. So I don't know, we're going to see like cat hog or something i don't know join the sleaze it's gonna be a lot of fun we decide on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover patreon subscribers also get an honor shout out and two bonus episodes every single month which we are in our fifth or sixth year i can't do math uh we have like 140 plus bonus episodes as well as our bonus transmission series where we talk about new release uh genre films which we have almost 50 of at this point so patreon.com slash podcast for everyone interested in that and speaking of which we do have some people to give their shout outs to this week uh we had uh tyler kell sign up for five dollars a month lionel neves uh matt who signed up for $10 a month and will be joining us for the monthly virtual screening we do with those online patrons, usually the last Thursday of any given month. And we've been having some fun recently. We did like uh, disturbing behavior, some 90s uh, trash, as well as we might be leaning towards uh, some some Nick Cage. Uh, actually, by the time people are listening to this, we might have already done some Nick Cage uh, yes, for, for the month, but we do one at the end of every month. Always fun. Uh, we also had Derek E. sign up, Caden sign up, Julian Kopkis, uh, Matthew K., Jack. Benura, and last but not least, Marcos Zenchata. So thanks so much to all of you folks for signing up. We appreciate the support. Hope you're enjoying all of those bonus episodes. Yeah, thank you. Uh, that's the one plug for the week. The other plug, as always, is Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you were listening on either one of those platforms, uh, please give us a good old rating and review over on those apps. It helps us uh, climb the, the, the rankings and find new listeners. And the very last plug uh, for the week, as always, is merch. If you like the poster art that based out of Toronto horror artist Trevor Henderson did for our show, you can get that put on basically anything that you can think of. And you freaks thought of a lot of things. You've bought pens, you've bought pillows, you've bought hoodies, notebooks, uh, just straight up posters for your place. Uh, that link is at the uh, in the description of this episode, as well as over at sleazoidspodcast.com. But that is uh, it for the intro. Welcome back to another week. Uh, as always, I am your host, Josh Lewis. And joining me also, as always, is my co-host, Jamie Miller. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome. I think two weeks ago would have been the last time you folks over on the main feed would have heard from us. And we would have been doing a massive, maximalist double feature of uh, June 1997 summer action blockbusters starring Nicolas Cage, uh, both super successful at the box office with high concept screenplays so ridiculous they basically felt like parodies <laughs> of late 80s, early 90s action style. That double feature was selected by our, our good friend Jason Buford and the pairing was uh, Jerry Bruckheimer and Simon West's knockoff Michael Bay, Tony Scott airplane prison break movie Con Air 
Terror and John Woo's glorious masterpiece of balletic destruction and the most acting maybe ever done in a movie uh, face off right. with Nick Cage and John Travolta. We had a lot of fun breaking that down with Jason two weeks ago. Oh, yeah. And really, the only thing I have to add is uh, face off is the best movie ever made. So thank yep. you. This has been Jamie's position for a very long time. This was a yes. special Jamie episode uh, that we got to do two weeks ago. So go back and check that out. And then last week over on the Patreon, uh, exclusively for the patrons, we discussed uh, in uh, conjunction with the release of a uh, brand new Christopher Nolan uh, film called Oppenheimer. We discussed uh, some Cold War nuclear holocaust anxiety uh, films as seen in uh, Stanley Kubrick's Dr. Strangelove from 1964, which took a look at the absurd, mutually assured uh, destruction policies and uh, realized them in both genuinely tense thriller logic and slapstick farce basically simultaneously. And we paired that uh, with Mick Jackson's Threads from 1984, uh, which is a movie that tricks you into thinking you're watching a Ken Loach, like kitchen sink BBC TV drama before changing gears to basically one of the most procedurally detailed and gruesome horror docudrama depictions ever put to screen, basically trying to show you what a nuclear winter might look and feel like on the ground level. Yeah, it's uh, it's truly horrifying stuff. It's a ruin your night um, classic, and somehow seven million people watch that live on broadcast television. Yeah, they just they just keep trying to traumatize Britain. It seems they did it with Ghost Watch, and now <laughs> they, then they did it with Threads. Or I guess Ghost Watch was after, but yeah, they're these both these movies are fantastic. We we had this funny thought by the end of it where there needs to be a super cut of the uh, uh, the the higher ups in Dr. Strangelove making it, fucking everything up and having the bombs go off and then you just cut to threads as soon as the bomb does go off and you you switch gears entirely but yeah, yeah cuz one's fantastic. entirely in the strategic battle rooms and the other one is uh, entirely avoids that and sticks in completely to the on the ground sort of survival logistics yeah yeah and so i just i want that super cut it would be, yeah. <laughs> it would be very strange, but it's just that it, it ended up being such an interesting thing having those two kind of uh, contrasting elements in both films back to back. Hell yeah! So if you haven't heard that episode again, Patreon.com/slash/LeeZoitsPodcast. That was last week's bonus episode. Uh, but moving on to this week, inspired directly by our time talking about the uh, anti-war, sort of vaguely liberal-minded side of canonized Cold War cinema. We thought it only fair to also take a look at the other side of this equation uh, in the form of some 80s Red Scare Rambo knockoffs made by legitimate right-wing hawks and psychos. Uh, we're going to be uh, talking about John Milius's Red Dawn from 1984 and Joseph Zito's Red Scorpion from 1988 today. And it's an episode I kind of wanted to do for a little while. And, uh, you know, we, we thought, who better to invite on to talk about that with us and break down some of the historical political context these films came out in what specific kind of anti-communist messages they were trying to send and how effective they are at commuting them or communicating them in their pulpy 1980s action movie styles then the two hosts of the blowback podcast uh those guests are brendan james and noah colwin boys how you doing howdy let's Hello. go <laughs> I'm, I'm, I am rocked. I am rock solid and ready to go. Yeah. Right. 
No, I, I mean, both of you have been on before. We've had you on individually, but I know that you, I mean, I love your guys' show, number one. It's incredibly informative, incredibly Thank well you. produced. I learned so much about American history and foreign policy every time I tune into your guys' show. You've, you've done seasons on Iraq War, the Cuban Revolution, the Korean War, and you have a brand new season coming August 25th, just a couple weeks away from people uh, when people are going to be listening to this on Afghanistan. So when when Brendan told me ahead of time that's what you guys were looking at doing for the new season, it immediately clicked in my brain. I was like, I've always wanted to do this pairing on our show. So it just kind of worked out that we were like, wow, you guys are already in that mindset, and uh, you know now now you're ready to talk about maybe two of the biggest anti-communist movies of the Afghanistan era for, or at least in the uh, American context of it. Yeah, these are two heavy hitters. It's a it's a the the 80s and Afghanistan, the Soviets in Afghanistan provided a very interesting um, sort of cultural payback, not not even to speak of the political payback on the part of the United States and uh, and and Hollywood's ability to play play the anti-imperialists uh, for the first time, which was which was uh, very much taken advantage of by... They loved by it. They were films. like, wow, we get to make our own Battle of Algiers every week, but... You know. yeah, well, <laughs> they, they wish, but... Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and in the case of, uh, you know, Red Dawn, I mean, like, it's, you know, like, the first, uh, sh- you know, like, conflict shots that you see in it are, like, all about Vietnam, in my view. And... Mm. I think that to Brendan's point about it being cultural payback, like it is, um, it was pretty crazy how like, you know, a full decade and a half after the Vietnam war ended, they were still making movies about how upset they were for having lost Vietnam. Oh yeah. Rambo went back and won that shit like three times. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Retroactively. And we've talked about that on this show. We did the whole Rambo franchise around the time when that, whenever the one where Rambo decided he was going to hang out on the Mexican border came out. I don't remember when that was. (laughs) That's the, that's the canon history we acknowledge in, in our, in our show. Rambo goes South is actually one of the more important (laughs) blowbacks storylines that we're looking to develop and sharpen. It's, it's the it's the the Rambo and 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 Metal Gear versions of history that we that we acknowledge in in blowback. We don't we don't stick to the supposedly uh, real world history that we all think happened. We only accept Italian American history and uh, Hideo <laughs> Kojima history. That's right. Those are the only two histories. Um, but yeah. yeah. Anyway, I think uh, we are going to uh, jump right into it here. Let's uh, let's let's get a little down and dirty. Let's talk about Red Dawn. Because we live here. Not bad for a bunch of kids, huh? Mama'd be real proud. All right, Can you make we a are... movie with your penis never getting soft? <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Let them do the intro. <laughs> no, leave it in, Jamie. It's great. I love I it. I will, yeah. <laughs> All right. We are talking Red Dawn, the 1984 action thriller war drama written and directed by John Milius, co-written by Kevin Reynolds, uh, the eventual director of such films as Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and Waterworld. Um, 
1984 is where I think I'm going to start this one, this this uh, this conversation <laughs> out at, uh, just because uh, it, this is coming out at a time where most of the biggest films being made are pretty overt anti-war films. Uh, you mm-hmm. uh, like leading up to 1984, some of the big heavy hitters when I was you know looking into what was coming out and what was performing, uh, the big red one by Sam Fuller, um, mm-hmm. an adaptation of his own brutal World War II experiences liberating a concentration camp and photographing that, which gave us the horrendous image of Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker himself, witnessing uh, a concentration camp, which kind of shocked people at the time in 1980 or 1981 when that came out. Uh, you've got Das Boat, which depicted the bleak sort of procedural mechanics inside of a Nazi U-boat. And of course you have Rambo first blood, which despite Stallone's uh, change to the ending uh, is still a pretty <laughs> obvious critique of turning a generation of men into, you know, very ugly killing machines and then just dropping them uh, back home. Mm. Um, and then obviously the other one we did last week, 1984 is, is, is threads, um, which <laughs> is just, again, one of the most gruesome, undramatic and bluntly horrifying movies about the effects of war on society and, and the future up there was something like come and see, which would come out a year after red Dawn. Mm-hmm. So like there was a clear trend, Trend in the early 80s. Um, you know, Cold War anxieties were on people's minds. Um, and, you know, even also if you had, you know, the Rambo sequels and missing in action films, which would come out in the mid 80s onward, that would take us in a bit of another direction. Uh, it, it seemed Kevin Reynolds was more inspired by this sort of the, the trend that we were going into. And he wrote this script called Ten Soldiers, which he viewed as like an anti-war Lord of the Flies type thing with a bunch of kids resorting to becoming guerrilla fighters and killers and and essentially fighting the monks themselves and suffering psychological deterioration as a result of a third world war that uh, breaks out. And it was kind of meant to depict that, you know, warmongering attitudes, you know, actually contributed to some sort of form of self-destruction, which he viewed as a bad thing and that it was hurting our <laughs> kids. And, you know, he, I think when he pitched it and he originally pitched it to people like uh, Spielberg and Walter Hill were directors who, you know, f- flirted with the film that mm-hmm. he wanted it to be almost like a kid's movie version of like the deer hunter or something. It was like an <laughs> art studio war movie. That was his idea. Um, which I don't know if that would have worked. Coppola's deer hunter. Yes. <laughs> um, and, but, but, but as it goes, uh, MGM ended up buying the script for this film and they wanted Walter Hill's, uh, very famous right wing buddy and crank, uh, director John Milius, who was hot off writing apocalypse now and directing Conan, the Barbarian, and I think maybe even doing an uncredited draft of Temple of Doom, which I think a lot of people actually say maybe accounts for some of the ugliness that made its way into that script. Supposedly, um, supposedly he he yeah he did a he did a, well, yeah, a pass and, on it. And also to I know Brendan had pointed this out to me, so I looked into it. Um, Al Haig, former Nixon and Reagan crony, um, was uh, on the board of directors of MGM. Yes. Um, Mm-hmm. And was involved in the making of the movie and uh, screened it and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, apparently he actually was the one who introduced, because um, uh, yeah, General U.S. Army General and Reagan Nixon advisor um, was the one who introduced um, Milius to Herman Kahn as well. 
um, and uh, by by uh, having them do a meet at like the Hudson Institute conservative think tank or something like yep. that. Who is for yep. anyone who was listening last week, the insane physicist and military strategist whose mad rantings uh, it inspired Kubrick on Doctor Strangelove. So like this was like a, the child of Milius, the guy who inspired Doctor Strangelove, and a U.S. Army general all got a look at Kevin Reynolds's script and was like, well, what if instead of like a you know kid deer hunter, it was like more like kid Rambo 2, you know? <laughs> and, and, and we were like, yeah. you know, the, the kids becoming mercenary commandos was instead like, instead of this like downer, which the movie still actually does have maintained some elements from, but what if it also was functioned as like a summer action movie about how them becoming soldiers is, you know, actually kind of like a noble thing you know they will well, leave all yeah. the details where the kids die but you know it, it, the tragic the tragedy of it will be more of in like the sentimental sense in that like you know the quid the kids are quite brave and heroic to become bloodthirsty revenge gun nuts <laughs> who took a stand for their country in the face of well, annihilation yeah it's, well uh, yeah it's, go ahead it, it's interesting just that um that hag even seemed to kind of scare uh, uh milius like he was even Milius was taken aback by kind of the approach that he wanted to take. Um, and I, th well, Milius a is a pretty here. smart guy. We've we've talked about some of his screenplays b before. And, and I think even for him, the like the quote unquote plausible World War Three situation they conceived of, of like a, a left wing Mexican and Nicar Nicaraguan government joining the Soviets and the Cubans to in ground invade the United States to be, you know, and, and put them in the, the position of being a colonized force on the defensive, um, you know, and then making the kids into like. <laughs> You know, freedom fighters and, and, and stuff like that. Like if, even yeah. to Milius, he was like, this seems like pretty, you know, pretty ridiculous and kind of like a jingoistic fantasy and like a blatant call to arms. And he, he kind of knows from just knowing movie history that like, you know, anti-war films are kind of the position. It's kind of what people <laughs> go to for those movies. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. he I mean, said that, he, oh. he said oh. he viewed it as an anti-war movie. Uh, yeah. I think the quote was. uh I see see this as an anti-war movie in the sense that if both sides could see this, maybe it wouldn't have to happen. I think it would be good for Americans to see what a war would be like. And I'm going to uh, assume the 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 precarious position of defending Red Dawn here. Um, uh, on, Let's go. In, Let's in get this, it started early. Form. Because <laughs> look, there's there's a lot going on in it, and I guess the mm -hmm. simplest way I could I could put it. Uh, as far as what we're talking about right now with the general, you know, um, with the guys on deck with Haig and, and Khan and then Milius, uh, is that they were, they were all right wingers, but not of the same type. And I think mm -hmm. Milius is from that peck and paw, like Clint Eastwood tradition mm -hmm. of being a right winger who is still generally anti-war, um, mm -hmm. and, or thinks of himself as anti-war. And it when I was rewatching it, it felt like two movies. Uh, I, I, I <laughs> yeah. really don't think that it is the fever dream of anti-communism that it has the reputation of, which is what I was saying to you last night, Josh, when I, when mm -hmm. I was rewatching it. I think that, especially if you're talking about a campy idea of that, that's really a movie like Joseph Zito, who did Red Scorpion, a movie like um, Invasion USA with Chuck Norris, in which it's basically a Red Dawn ripoff, a bunch of 
like a, a rainbow coalition of anti-American terrorists are deployed by the they're, Soviet they're Union. They're blowing up to, malls and you have to get that, like that a are, Florida man with Uzis to take them down. <laughs> I mean, the trailer is literally a, a family going inside for Christmas dinner and then a Russian rolling up and blowing them away with an RPG, which is <laughs> hilarious. Um, that, that's seen? what I think people, that's what I think people think of with Red Dawn. But I think that the first bit of the movie with the actual invasion is very, is quite silly and silly cynical right wing we can talk about that kind of stuff and you know the stuff of like the re-education camps and all that it's a parody but really the second half of the film it's not it's not pure but it's it's really i think quite decent at preserving whatever reynolds was trying to do where you could really at that point substitute any malevolent occupier for the Soviets. There's really nothing, there's really nothing going on about how the Russians are uniquely evil. And in fact, there's a speech powers booth gives, we can talk about later that, you know, sort of is, is the moment, uh, that, that, that is, is, is expressed. And it's just about what it's like to be a partisan, to be a guerrilla. Um, it's bookended by kind of jingoism, but in the middle there, I don't really think Red Dawn is as, is as crackpot in the heart of the movie as, uh, even some of the people involved with it probably wanted it to be. Well, I I can, we can talk about that. Yeah. I was going to say, I think it was conceived in part to be a movie like that. And I think Milius has enough awareness and enough, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you want to call it shame to be like, I don't think that like, I think he doesn't think that that's tasteful. I think that he actually comes from, as you were saying it, like a more traditionalist filmmaking background where he's just like, I don't, I don't think that, you know, he's not the guy who could make the cartoon, you know, crazy, unserious version of this that it's kind of lived on in his people's minds, mostly because of the films that were directly inspired by it. And, but and also, the remake you know, that is, is, is a little bit a in there. <laughs> no, it is. And it's just interesting as I was watching it. Cause one thing I've always liked about say the movie, um, I think we talked about this on blowback. No, uh, the guest by written by Simon Barrett and directed by, um, Adam yeah, Wingard, right? Yeah, it's a great movie. Um, is that without declaring it or preaching it too much, that's a movie that during the war on terror was basically saying, this is what it's like for a U.S. soldier to come into your, you know, not an Afghan village, not an Iraqi town, but an American small town and wreak havoc. So it's it's not like, you know, doing a pretentious a uh, liberal American thing where it's telling another country's story on that country's behalf. It's more just saying through genre of filmmaking, like how, how does this feel? You know, this is pretty scary, right? Uh, <laughs> and ironically enough, by using the USSR's invasion of Afghanistan, which is fair game, I guess, you know, it's a real event. Milius was essentially doing that. And I think from his quote, that's what he was trying to get at, which is like, you know, despite the, 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 the silly anti-communist trappings in the beginning, he's really trying to say, wouldn't this be bad? You know, do, do, maybe we should not be in the business of doing this to other people, lest we, you know, reap, reap, reap what we sow uh, and, and really putting you in the shoes of someone whose country is being occupied. So I, I think yeah. for odd political reasons and weird instincts that he has, he's kind of doing that. And that's, that's more interesting than anything. A lot of the copycats were doing. Yeah, I think like, to me, oh, I'm sorry. One of the things that to me um, is, is particularly interesting um, about, I guess the, um, how to put it like the, the kind of like holistic, uh, anti-communism of the movie, like the kind of, um, like 
idea and like the the moral indig like to Brent, what Brennan's been saying about how it's not really um necessary or uh like you know like you can dispense with it and you have this you know pretty um you know core story about a group of kids in the middle of it um however what i do really like is the kind of uh gestures that they do make and the like sort of limited world building that they do do in sort of establishing for everybody um I guess, like, you know, that they're going to have this backdoor through Mexico and that it's the Soviets and the Cubans teaming up and sort of riffing. Like, you do get a feel for, like, how a right-wing guy would have, like, understood the world interlocking at that point in time. And that, to me, is, like, something that you don't see in a lot of movies. Like, they don't give you enough information to actually get a feel for, like, how do all of the people, you know, who are both making this and as characters in this, like, actually have a, like, what is their worldview, broadly speaking? Yeah, mm-hmm. and there's actually some literacy, you know, about geopolitical reality at the time. In the middle of the movie, Powers Booth says 600 million, uh, I won't say his exact words, but the Chinese <laughs> are, um, are standing with the United States. And, you know, at that point, uh, the People's Republic of China and the Soviet Union were in some ways worse enemies than the U.S. and the, and the Soviet Union. So, and, and you have to assume most people would have understood that the Chinese were also communists. So it, it, it's sort of, it really isn't painting with as broad a brush as, again, a lot of the, the copycat movies were, where communists are all the same thing. You, um, you gotta love when a movie halfway through just introduces, you know, Powers Booth, and he's, he's, he's the poetic fighter pilot who's like, you know, mm-hmm. the two toughest kids on the block, they were bound to fight, you know? Well, was, that, you know, but, this was but, okay, that line I was gonna bring up because... <laughs> I really like that that line. It's you know, it's Milius such a good a, line. It's such Milius, a good line. Milius is a good writer, but but mm. really taking that line, like I said, it, it, as far as Milius is concerned, and that is in the kind of middle of the movie where it feels like Haig and you know wh- whoever else was leaning on him to make it as you know high octane anti communist as possible. That's they they kind of got their their rocks off in the beginning, and now it's mm-hmm. settled into more of what maybe Milius and even Reynolds maybe was was going for. That line, two tough two toughest kids on the block. Sooner or later, they're going to fight. It's not really assigning any deeper evil to the Soviets. It's just sort of saying it's being morally equivalent. It's saying, you know, this whole Cold War is insane. Now, of course, from from real world history, and as we discuss on our show, it is true that the United States was always the more aggressive of the two, but, but that, but that is still a bit different than what I'm sure Alexander Haig was, push, was, was pushing for. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, M- M- Milius definitely message. comes into this with a little bit of a different um, approach because I think most people know him for kind of like co-writing something like dirty Harry. And a lot of people yeah. kind of view him that way. I mean, even extreme prejudice, which he wrote for Walter Hill, which is probably, you know, why powers booth ended up being involved in that one as well. Uh, he called that his right wing Costa Gavras film. And he, you yeah. know, he, and, and Walter Hill was the one who kind of rewrote it into being a little bit more of like a peck and paw texas ranger type thing um and yes. uh but but milius was also a guy whose beliefs he was like pretty open about and he was like you know i'm not a reactionary i'm just a right-wing extremist so far beyond christian identity that people can't even imagine i'm so far beyond i'm a maoist i am a zen anarchist yeah <laughs> which this, which is all that's that's really just word soup uh it, 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 it totally is but and, and part of that is the what makes me wish that you know because he sounds like a pretty you read interviews with him you read other things that he's written he's a sounds like a pretty 
unhinged kind of guy who has like yeah. really bizarre beliefs that aren't entirely different sometimes than some of the guys that he was being asked to write for, like Alexander Haig and this. And it, it, part of it made me wish that you know, like weirdly, this is not the first time we've actually discussed this premise on this show. There's a, this great Southern Baptist propaganda exploitation filmmaking duo named Estes Perkle and Ron Ormond, who did this incredible movie called If Footmen Tire You, What Will Horses Do? That basically envisioned in, I think, the late or no early 70s uh what castro foot soldiers putting little american kids into education camps and mm. killing their parents in front of them and torturing them in full graphic detail and it was mm. a film he actually shot on a very limited budget and he basically took around the country screening in southern churches in order to create panic in some of the 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 uh, parents and stuff and it was such a paranoid gross movie that so mm. like vividly and effectively captures that mindset and like the yearning for this like apocalyptic like rebirth almost most that he hoped would scare kids into going to church again instead of watching cartoons and going to the drive-in and when we talked about that part of what we love so much about it was that it was a perfect merging of like an actual person who had pretty psychotic beliefs and a guy who was like a vaudeville magician who wanted to make horror movies so his Mm. idea was to actually make a grindhouse movie where you watch castro foot soldiers like shove bamboo sticks through children's brains and things Mm -hmm. like that and you watch it 10 year olds Yeah, like it, like it's it's really insane. And part of what kind of ends up being disappointing about Red Dawn for me, because I finally actually just watched it for the first time, only mostly having heard of its reputation. And, and I do agree with Brendan that it's definitely not as cartoony as the reputation that it has in the movies that it inspired. Yeah. And weirdly enough, part of my disappointment in the film was that I kind of was like ready for the full, like it's so sentimental <laughs> yeah. and self serious, yeah. despite how obviously silly the concept and it, it, it is. And I was just thinking <laughs> about it, like, Comparing it to something like the cinematographer who shot this film, Rick Waite, would go on to shoot like fucking Cobra, which is like yeah. one of the best fascist cartoon concepts turned into like stylish 80s action movies I've ever seen. When you have like, you know, Stallone drinking a Coors in the middle of like a, a gunfight or the bad guy's lair with fucking like ritualistic battle axes and stuff like that's what the war on crime looks like to him. Or right. even speaking of war on crime, Death Wish 3, if you're talking like pulpy oh, cannon movie yeah. versions, like and, one of the most and, openly and, fascist movies ever. Ever, but a total it, blast because it acknowledges that in order to justify its position on starting rocket launcher war in the streets against muggers, you kind of need to pump the gas. You need to Mad Max also, your I universe mean, and, a little bit, you know. <laughs> and also, like in that, in those, I mean, like the like you know, Death Wish Three is like, I mean. South Bronx looks like, you know, like heart of conflict, like, um, like Mogadishu. Like it's also, there's a kind of like alienness that makes those like sort of grounds the surreality of those. Whereas like when you watch this, it's like, yeah, like Patrick Swayze and Charlie Sheen could be brothers in like, you know, like the opening, like the first conversation they have in Red Dawn is about football and like that you see and like the, the turn of the movie could obviously be like basically right up until they go into high school class and you start seeing uh, the history teacher give a lecture about the Mongols uh, <laughs> that like, do you start, you know, seeing like, Oh, wait a minute, something's up here. But like, you know, there is that like, like to me at least like that artifice that helps those other movies like Cobra, especially, um, you know, that helps you actually get immersed in them with like red Dawn. It's like, yeah, they're trying to have it both ways. Like they're trying mm. to make it be this like incredible, like, I mean, for like a very, um, like, uh, yeah, like self-serious, dramatic, ponderous thing. Yeah. And then kind of also, a respectable movie, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then also to be like, 
Yeah, but like we're still gonna play. What was it? The, the, what they played like an Eisenstein movie in their education? Well, let's, let's, oh let's, my hold god! On. Let's, let's get to the <laughs> yes. world building. Let, let's get to the world building in a second. The last thing I want to say on Milius in particular, to your point, Noah, about having it both ways, is that um, for, I, I don't love citing you know Wikipedia, but it seems pretty straightforward here. He says to it's it's off of that quote you said, Josh, where he he says, mm-hmm. "I'm a Maoist. I'm an anarchist." He goes, "Any true real right winger, if he goes far enough, hates all form of government." because government should be done to cattle and not human beings. You know, the ultimate, you know, anarchist or <laughs> yep. libertarian. Very next sentence, Milius has endorsed minimum wage laws and conscription. <laughs> so it's like, okay, so you're the ultimate anarchist, except you think the government should be able to forcibly make you go fight a war, which you're apparently against, and you like minimum wage laws. So normal I mean, anarchist, like who, like who knows what he does? He doesn't know what he's what is deep down his politics. Yeah, like I said, normal anarchist. Well, yeah, that's just it. feels a little wishy washy to me. Whereas that's, like, that's not his job, though. His job is not yeah. political theory. And I'll just say one: the, the last thing I wanted to quote here is protesters like oppose the film to some degree. I don't know how many. And when they picketed outside of the MGM building, he said, quote, what these people really don't like is that the movie shows violence being perpetrated against Russian and Cuban invaders, which is what mm. the demonstration was all about. My question is, where were all these demonstrators when the Russians shot down that airliner? Now he's talking about a Korean uh, passenger plane that we bring up in this season that's coming up that the Soviets accidentally shot down and that the United States went on to do a massive propaganda operation about trying to frame the Soviets as uh, intentionally having shot down in cold blood a civilian aircraft. And so Milius is, 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 you know, pretending like that was a Soviet op. And then he says, were they cheering about that? And what about the people being gassed and yellow rained in Afghanistan? We can talk about this in Red Scorpion, too. It was a no, major we will talk about that. It was a major propaganda point uh, that the U.S. government was pushing and that it's very uh, obliging uh, activists for the freedom fighters. The Mujahideen were pushing that the Soviets were using chemical warfare in Afghanistan, which we now know they did not. And it's in fact, the year before the year before Red Dawn comes out, the head, a former head of uh, chemical weapons, um, like inspection for the U.S. Army, wrote an op-ed for the Washington Post saying there was no evidence of yellow rain use by the uh, Soviets in Afghanistan. So it really was by even the time this movie is getting made, yeah. um, it was known to have been a falsehood. This was and like, you know, this was exactly. the, you know, Iraq WMD of its time in a sense. So then, and, and then he says, like, but I'm also not right wing, so don't call me that. It's like, he just doesn't, he just wants to, he wants to make <laughs> movies while being renegade enough to be a quote unquote right winger in Hollywood without actually ever seemingly picking a set of coherent ideological. Well, it's, if it's points. Hollywood, it's, it's all Hollywood conservatives. It's just pick me girls. Like it's just pick me sure. syndrome. Like, uh, like they want to be, yeah, that's what makes him difference in his mind from like, Oh, it makes me difference from like George Lucas or Steven Spielberg who are obviously all my peers. Um, and who you know, like, like him that, by the way, like he can't be that right wing or they wouldn't even want to be seen with them. Michael winner who directed death, death wish three is an actual fascist. And he's on the record saying that. And if you watch that movie, yes. you can, pick up on it oh no yeah he 100 percent commits and believes to all of that shit M- M- milius again I, I i think part of his attraction to it at least on a filmmaking sense is is definitely just the uh the the, the symbols of power with it the strength of the image like i i do we the only i think the other directed film we've talked about his on this show is conan the barbarian which definitely has some you know fascist 
subtext or text to it about the use of you know force and 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 strength in it but he the way that he accesses that as just like pure brooding tone mm-hmm. and like really mm-hmm. striking images of you know arnold being this massive like painterly muscled body that can like decapitate magic snakes or like hurl james earl jones's <laughs> decapitated head gi- down a giant temple as a display of dominance in front of all of his followers you know it, it, it has it has a certain power and weight to it that i think is what milius is attracted to and which was also left me a little surprised that i i feel like when i was watching this film and there's a full and we'll get into it, especially in this opening here, which we we should get into. I think that the yeah. opening is maybe the most weighted in terms yeah. of, you know, uh, you know, really trying to paint on a, you know, a, a massive scale and, you know, really show you the you know, apocalyptic destruction and everything. I think that that is kind of what he's attracted to. And it does surprise me that he ends up getting more low key. And part of it, I imagine is like the, you know, he, he wanted to go back to some of the anti-war sentiments of, of Reynolds, screenplay, but yeah. like, like the opening of this, when you just get like that iconic shot that is on the poster of all yeah. of the Soviets rolling in on, you know, in, in, in the giant parachutes that they're coming down and the way that it's revealed as like, the teacher is just like kind of like looking out the window and it's just like a normal day. And you're only like four minutes into the movie. One of the main things I'll credit this movie with is that it gets to its premise really fast. It's a little long as a result because you feel like if it maybe had a half hour of buildup to, to its moment, it it wouldn't feel like the whole, it wouldn't get as monotonous by the time you're like an hour and a half into it. But man, this like opening of the quaint Colorado town, which is actually, I guess like Las Vegas, um, and all of these guys just like rolling in and decide just massacring the teacher, massacring kids, <laughs> cars crashing, squibs, rockets blowing up school buses, just kids l- bodies littering the ground. That amazing pan from the they can pry mm-hmm. my gun from my cold dead fingers bumper sticker as a Russian yeah. soldier literally, you know, does that to a corpse on the ground. <laughs> I mean, that's the, the it, what a the, sequence of events. The uh, getting in because that that first sequence is basically what it, I think a lot of people think the entire movie is. Yes. You know, and, yeah. and, and That's what it's I was expecting understandable. The, the rest of the movie to be like yeah. pretty much this first half an hour is what I was and, thinking it was going to be. And I bet Milius enjoyed shooting it <laughs> um, because he probably <laughs> didn't have any soft spot for communism despite being anti-war. But it, that, that shot, I, I, I remember the one you just said, is the is peak is is fascist realism where <laughs> there's a bumper sticker if you can pry my gun from my dead hands and then it literally shows a russian soldier prying a gun from a dead pair of fans like <laughs> i think that because there's really not a wealth of and i again we've just talked about the nuances of milius so I, i'm not going to tar him but this sequence is is very much just pure kind of fashy um uh lowbrow uh, entertainment and and there's really not a wealth of quality fascist high art or right wing high art. You know the futurists were an inspiration for the for the Italian fascists, not the other way around. And and I'm I'm currently reading um, Richard J. Evans's trilogy on the Third Reich and the sections on culture, which was largely managed by Goebbels, are fascinating because essentially all the Nazis could do was kick people out of the art world, whether they were Jews or communists or sympathizers or liberals, whatever. So they just kept depriving themselves of quality artists and then just oh, yeah, played th- Beethoven. That's why we have an incredible uh, German expressionist making noir Correct. films in Hollywood in the, Correct. you know, into the, the 1940s and 50s. Correct. Whereas, um, 
you know, I guess they nabbed a talent with Lenny Riefenstahl, but that was a fluke. So then as far as, <laughs> as lowbrow, but as lowbrow art goes, like trash, oh, there is man. some really amazing stuff, particularly the American reactionaries, because it's, it's the ideal form of right wing or fascist or, you know, whatever you want to call it. All right. It's hyper literal and unapologetically hateful. And, um, and then in the case of Conan, uh, homoerotic and just libidinal in its desire to, to glorify war and conquest, uh, which just standing on its own, all of that is very entertaining stuff to watch. And, 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 I, also, and I also think that the, you know, to Brandon's point, I think that that literalism uh, can lead in the case of Red Dawn to also um, like the odd moment of prophecy. For example, so the movie is set in, the, in, 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 in their uh, whole community, and in, in the action takes place in Colorado. And Colorado is given in the plot a certain amount of significance because it's where the Strategic Air Command is. And that's the, they control, basically like of the nuclear triad, SAC controls two thirds of it. Everything but the, the nukes on subs. Um, and it's, you know, like if there, it's where the Air Force Academy is also. Um, it's really the kind of like spiritual uh, nexus for like the American, you know, like nuclear frontier, let's call it. And I think it is also the place where more or less Columbine happened. And I do think that it is very interesting that like basically we do get a school shooting in a Colorado high school at the opening of this movie <laughs> that would later go on to, you know, the, and, and, you know, that, that it would go on to inspire Tim McVeigh, at least according to, you know, like reporters at the time said in the late 90s, who himself was the inspiration or a, the major inspiration for the Columbine shooting. Wow. Um, so there is to me just like, you know, like a kind of way in which it's like, you know, to the extent that, you know, like I'm obviously not trying to be one of those guys who's like, well, it's just, you know, it shows how art influences people, blah, blah, blah. But make it so to make it but so there's direct. something but, in this boring ass middle America it, yes, that makes it, you want to shoot. Just have a nice big <laughs> war where you can finally just shoot some folks. I mean, I think like. my theory is that like this is in the same way that like German fascism arose out of like this um, cultural discontent with the failure of German imperialism after World War One, like yeah. the affirmation of its failure. Um, and then the humiliations of the Ruhr and the, you had all these soldiers, you know, the steel helmets, non-Nazis, but, you know, an organized political force. Um, like, that's our fascin fascism. You know, we have this psycho-atomized American society. Like, our fascism, like, our Ernst Younger is John Milius, you know? Like, that's, what, that's the hand that we're working with. Well, mm -hmm. let's, so let's let's go from the humiliations of the Ruhr to <laughs> the scene where Charlie Sheen and uh, Patrick Swayze are stockpiling Sprite and Cokes to <laughs> yeah, live it's, in the it's, mountains. It's, yeah. it's incredible because a few of the boys escape, and yeah, as, I, I, we haven't mentioned it yet, but the cast, the god... Patrick Swayze. Mm. Uh, you also so have C good. He's so good. Yeah. You also have yeah. C. Thomas Howell, uh, who never had much of an amazing career, but I do love him in that movie, The Hitcher with Rucker Hauer. Yeah. Uh, and, and both the year before were in Francis Ford Coppola's like gritty 80s update on 50s teen, like Rebel Without a Cause, like melodramas, mm. The Outsiders, in, mm -hmm. uh, which were both are pretty good in. And obviously you have Charlie Sheen playing Patrick Swayze's younger brother, uh, Matt. You have a uh, very funny scene with uh, Harry Dean Stanton. 
mm-hmm. course. Yeah, pre-becoming an Oliver Stone regular and things like Platoon and and mm-hmm. and Wall Street. You've also got Leah Thompson, who would go on to be in the Back to the Future movies. Jennifer Grey from Dirty Dancing, which would also have uh, uh, Patrick Swayze Bueller. in it, and Ferris Bueller, of course, as well. And yeah, they they uh, obviously need to escape this, you know, school massacre that just occurred out of nowhere in the middle of their school day. And Patrick Swayze is the graduated former quarterback who kind of becomes the surrogate dad or military general named after Jedediah Smith. His name's Jed. Um, and he's yeah. the one who takes Matt, Charlie Sheen and Robert C. Thomas Howell um, and, and Daryl and a bunch of the other ones. They load up on Coca-Cola and Sprite from Robert's dad's general <laughs> store, who was eventually killed for doing that, deemed a uh, a gesture of aiding the gorillas. They get yep. a handgun from the glove compartment and take off to survive in the cold wilderness and, and live off uh, the, you know, the, the natural land in the preserved forests of Kala, Colorado. Um, and th- my only real kind of issue with, cause I actually think that the opening is, has a strange, you know, sort of, again, as Brendan was putting it like a fashy power to it and what it does kind of, trigger though is that i i found that a lot of the the action was kind of a, a you know strong commitment to massive practical destruction mm-hmm. you gotta love yeah. it every time you see it in a movie like this a lot of this was real military equipment a lot of it was mm-hmm. really blown the fuck up but mm-hmm. it is kind of weirdly clumsily constructed and kind yeah. of flatly shot there's not much mm-hmm. tension or like character psychology baked into the set pieces or anything it's just it's very expensive um, yeah. which is you know which is it kind of relies on its way to do it and it kind of that element of it kind of funnels its way even through the survival stuff where it's you know there's it doesn't feel like it has a lot of controlled pacing to it it feels a little thinly sketched especially in terms of like the personalities of the characters and what they're actually fighting about because I imagine they were maybe fighting about more complicated things amongst one another maybe in Reynolds's script and they needed to mm-hmm. cut some stuff I know I know Powers Booth claims that because he actually was supposed to be a straight up anti-war character mm-hmm. who was supposed to teach the kids otherwise and that he was told that was why he signed on to the movie and all Mm. of that was cut so that that might be an element of it of it as well but it's just it's a little stiff as it lurches from the various scenes of them like going hunting and like drinking deer blood which is like you know actually kind of a cool scene if i think someone would have maybe directed it to you know really get into that like base primal instinct of the the violence these kids are going to be doing when i saw that scene i actually thought that they were like pranking him for a minute i feel like they didn't set it up uh entirely properly to give you this oh jamie you will love to hear that that's what they do in the remake in the 2012 remake that scene has turned into the two kids just prank him and they're like we didn't (laughs) drink any fucking blood you fucking idiot (laughs) because that's what just the way that it that it it, it's paced towards the 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 final part of that scene where they're like you know i don't i can't remember exactly what they say but essentially it's just like that you have the the warrior spirit now you know you're like you're yeah, you, need, you, with, you need to like be respectful of the you know of of this like connection we have with our f- hunting forefathers and like our pioneering heritage and you know yeah, like this kind of thing that, and i think yeah. that goes into the whole the, the strange tones that this that this carries like what like we were saying the first i mean i guess this is still kind of in the first 30 minutes or 45 minutes or so but there is kind of a kind of cartoonish quality to how you know the the communists come in and all of that and yeah. then it just gets so incredibly serious <laughs> yeah. and um and this is one of those moments where i was like okay are we still in the first kind of 
more fun 20 minutes of this film. No, the, 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 this is a scene from Reynolds's uh, version of kitty porn, a uh, war porn, the deer hunter. Um, yeah, I exactly. Think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so th- there's moments in this film like this one where yeah. I just can't quite see, I guess until the end you of the scene. You could imagine someone using it more going. poetically, I think, yeah. than it ends up being squished between scenes hey. of them, like, hanging in the rural farmhouse where they're picking up the teen girls being hidden under the floorboards like Jews in the Second World War, oh or my God, yeah. spying when, when, on their new communist overlords who have, like, stolen their cars and homes and businesses he, and are just, like, driving around in the mayor's car, like, burning books, like, in the car and stuff when, when like he that. When he pops open the trap door and Jennifer Grey and, and, uh, uh, what's her name uh thompson uh leah thompson leah thompson pop out i i let out a big laugh i was like oh wow okay we're <laughs> they're just they're just down there i mean yeah. there's, there's no one around right now why sure when when the soviets come around pop them in there but why are they constantly being being shoved in the in the trap door no that this is definitely the most like cartoony stuff with the you know they're yeah. putting up their lenin posters they're yeah apparently as also, as noah as noah was pointing out they're giving out free all-day repertory screenings of sergey eisen Stein films that you can actually Nevsky. see in the marquee in the back. I was <laughs> I like, they were playing good. that at the camp too, or something like that. Yeah, they they're, were. they're playing. They're playing it at the camp, but they're also offering free screenings. And it's just like, oh no, the horrible cultural policy of free high art. You know, that would be terrible <laughs> for everyone. Um, also this it's, it's like cutesy in the beginning where, uh, I assume this is intentional where the Wolverines, the home, the home team, uh, who become, you know, which becomes the moniker of the, it's so funny that they're wearing like letter jackets under their like camo gear and stuff like that. They're just like, Wolverines go Wolverines as they're like killing people. (laughs) And and it becomes the, the five person guerrilla army that is single handedly, uh, taking on the Soviet army. Um, that the away team, that the away team is the grizzlies so you see the, oh. the russians the russians are invading and and there's posters around before they even get there called let's beat the grizzlies i.e i have to assume the russian the bear bears is is what they're going for there uh which is pretty funny uh, I, I thought it was mildly cynical in the beginning when the first victim of the invasion is the black teacher uh, yeah. as, if it's, as if it's the USSR and communists that uh, hold the legacy of anti-black violence of the 20th century. Uh, I thought that was a, a pretty a pretty cynical way to get people because there's this like kind of it's not dissimilar to what's weaponized today where it's like, hey, when it comes to the foreigners, you know, we're all one. We're all one family in America. You know, like, can you believe how racist these Russians are for? And it's and it's like, if anything, you know, there's uh, there's actually quite an interesting history of, um, you know, black intellectuals and activists traveling to the Soviet Union and realizing you know, just quite how poisonous American racism is. So the right wingers got to just nip it in the bud right away that, uh, nope, it's not complicated. Um, the Russians are evil. And the first person they shoot is our is, is our black teacher in Colorado. You know, that's it's it's a yeah. certain touch to it yeah um, well no, i mean that's what it's it's so it, it does feel so weird to just for me to, to me to include such insane details like this like such an extreme or welly vision of like conservative paranoia and then mm-hmm. just also be like well now we're going to transition into some kind of flat obvious 
melodrama. Like mm. I was actually more with the movie during scenes like Harry Dean Stanton in a concentration camp for badass NRA American dad Avenge screaming, me! Avenge me! Avenge me! <laughs> that, that comes out of, again, this is like the schizophrenia of the movie. It comes out of nowhere. Like it's such, he's, a, he's one of my favorite actors. It's such a restrained scene where he's yeah. just like, uh, just because I beat it's, your ass yeah, it's, for 18 it's like, years. It's like fucking literally like the most like, uh, it's like having, um, I don't know, like a like a Kubrick interpretation of like a Bircher pamphlet. It's crazy. I love it. <laughs> but he's he's so restrained, and then like you know, it's, it's hammy and, and all that. And then he's just not, yeah. And 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 then all of a sudden he's like, no, no, get out of here. Don't let them find you. And then after having said, sneak away. Yeah, don't let yeah. them find you. He screams directly at them, "Avenge me!" <laughs> so that every camp guard can hear it. It's just so it's, is, it's bizarre. This is no, also it, the movie uh, has it has a schizophrenic approach to combining these two things. No, this yeah. is what we're talking about with Milius. You know, and this is also after he tells them like to calm down, to not cry anymore. Yeah, it's yeah, like there's yeah, no dude. Yeah. Don't don't cry is definitely the most like I thought was like the that that was like one of those things where it's like you're like showing your hand a little too much here because that is <laughs> like the like oh like oh you want to be like the perfect like subject you want to like like because like really like that is the kind of thing you say to people if you want to psych them up over time to like be able to get into the mindset where they can just herd people into the gas chamber like that to me was the well, I like, think that's interesting though I mean I I, I actually thought that was one of the better through lines is uh, Swayze's you know because he cries when he has to execute is it his own brother he ex no it's that's Charlie Sheen it, it's, it's one of the friend. others he yeah, the, yeah his just, friend it's the, it's, the the class class it's the class president right okay yeah so so he he executes them or, or rather he almost does and then the really dead-eyed kid whose dad was killed does it for him but um you know, and then, and then he cries like he, he later on in private, there's that, that's the, that's the more interesting stuff about how, uh, along with the powers booth. And I want to talk about the Cuban commandante, uh, stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's the stuff about how it's not so easy to convince yourself to be just a badass killer all the time. I mean, but it's like, if you, do, you might become a cold blooded maniac. This, this, this goes back to the both ways things, right? Because it's just like, to me, it's like, okay, then if you're making a movie about the futility of war, which is what he and Al Hag, like, it's what they all agreed on as yeah. like the, the message of this is, um, then it's like, okay, great. Then why the fuck are you making a war movie with well, a bunch of awesome protagonists who are played by beautiful well, Hollywood? Well, exactly. People? Exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm admitting that about how this is two movies, but, but the movie yeah. underneath well, the well, Alexander and they Hague sneak movie in because I mean to, to your point too Brendan I also think that because I, I think that that stuff's in there as well there's also a couple times where they deliberately play it to a little bit more of a grosser degree because there is this yeah. like you know there is a lot of crying and moping in terms of to yeah. the tone of the movie to the kids who are you know watching their parents being put in camps watching their parents get executed and you know yeah. being handed all of this responsibility to defend their country and there's actually one really moment that I actually found on on a more toned down way a little gross <laughs> which was the one when Patrick Swayze is holding one of the kids and he's saying don't cry hold it turn back. it into something else turn it into something else you know like never cry as long as you live and you also have Robert come in and say you know like clearly they're they're going to kill us so like why should we be any different and it actually kind of lets that hang in the air instead yeah. of actually because like later there's a part where they yeah. go to execute the kid and it's actually you know it, it, it feels bad it doesn't feel good it doesn't feel yeah. like something we should be doing but 
in the but early goings. But that's good yeah. because at first it is all fun. It's all a slogan. It's all like, no, don't worry. We're going to get him. But then when you're really staring down the eyes of a trader, you don't mm-hmm. really want to follow through. I had no problem with that at all. I liked and then you, the and, line. And, and, it, and it's up to the thousand yard stare guy to actually yeah. pull the trigger. Well, that, that's how, think, but again, that's how this shit works. Well, like, I, I mean, I'm same, totally I, I fine do, with all that. I mean, the thing, though, the, the scene that, like, most fucked with me, though, is which is about the, which is, uh, you know, the sort of making of the thousand uh, yard stair kid is um, when they make him drink the blood. And mm-hmm. I hate, I mean, I hate that scene for a number of reasons. I mean, it's, it's very, it's like, it's just like, it's, uh, to me, it's, I mean, I find most hunting, you know, as a, as, a, as a coastal Jew, I find most hunting to be alienating and deeply bizarre if you're not doing it to feed yourself. However, um, you know, this thing where he, like, uh, the kid who looks to me like a kind of almost like young Anthony Perkins. Like he does look like, like to me, I just thought it was like, Oh, I'm seeing Norman Bates being molded by his mother here. Like it's <laughs> Patrick Swayze and Charlie Sheen. And you know, he says like, well, I'm inspired by, you know, like I learned how to do everything because of uh, like, you know, like Jedediah Smith. Yeah. Jed, Jedediah Springfield and, and Jim Bridger. <laughs> and like, you know, there's this kind of like, um, again, it's, it's just, it's, this is literally, this was like, you know, this German Volkish fascism, like this kind of like, um, idea of, I get like, inve- like, you know, like this, um, mythos of like the land as like a kind of purity that's going to like, so th- there's this, you know, but it's like a dumb honest? fucking, but isn't that honest to what Milius is actually into? I mean, I'd rather see it where I mean, yeah, I'd rather, to I me, like him where so, I can it, see him. Part of why I, I guess, like, to me, that scene, like, rubs me the wrong way is, I guess, because it's, like, it does just feel like, okay, but, like, why the fuck, like, it just, this is, like, in a Bass Pro shop, like, the context feels all wrong, like, this isn't, like, a fable, this isn't a myth, this is, like, you know, like, to me, it's, that's, it kind of is a fable and a myth, right, I mean, yeah, that's fair, that's fair, it's, like, how the fuck did these, how the fuck did these Cubans get past the fucking, if I'm really taking inventory here, if I'm really looking inward and, like, being, like, all right, what is my frustration with this scene, it's, like, literally, like, why the fuck are you drinking blood, like, that'll kill you, that's so unsanitary, (laughs) well, that's your, that's your hang up. Um, I, it's not my I hang think, up. It's my it's my predil- it's it's I think it's my my you know, I'm on guard. Yeah. I think see, some but, of but see, I think, I think Brendan's of, right in the sense that mm-hmm. that would be the more interesting movie if that was the movie they made the whole time. And that's yes. not the movie that they made the whole time because yes. they will cut to that scene to spending time with some cartoon Russians doing yeah. evil mustache twirling dominance oh and like God. raiding gun that stores, no, raiding guy. gun stores for lists of who does private purchases and like, <laughs> you know, like raiding the local politicians and like you know sort of like wealthy people for lists of the 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 bad behaving children and the uh also what that fucking scene where they take selfies in front of like the national forest sign talking about like the forest service act that is what americans do when we do like when when we're like doing occupations and stuff like i actually thought that when i was watching it's like you know what this is like like the military consultants who they brought in to tell them like well so here's what an occupation would look like they're just describing from experience so okay. like <laughs> take, is, take that's out of view it this is exactly and we, we mentioned this in the intro this is exactly what i mean um because and this goes for red scorpion but even more for red dawn because essentially it is it is it is like stealing valor from actual communist history of partisan fighters it's like we america never got to do that americans never you know, even the French resistance, there's the mythology of the French. And I just watched like Army our, of Shadows our the other day. good war, like Union victory, was like asserting state authority. Right. So it Army of Shadows be, is oh, amazing, it, maybe. Army of Shadows is amazing. It cannot be overstated how much the Afghan invasion 
was viewed as payback for all the years the U.S. was the invader, the occupier, the imperialist, not just in Vietnam, but as we all know, we could rattle off most of the world. And we talk in the show about how this was explicitly cooked up, this narrative of Russia's Vietnam by American intelligence and propagandists, when in fact, you know, in some ways that's, that's, that makes sense. In other ways, things were quite different. But in Hollywood, too, it gave guys like Zito or to a Green Milius, or his handlers at least, or Stallone, carte blanche to finally play the anti-imperialist, the, the, the American partisans to do the heroic guerrilla stuff that the Cubans always got to do. Oh yeah, and like Soviets, hiding underneath the rocks below while they have yeah. the one Soviet guy like reading the sign and reading it incorrectly being like, this is not the site of like an American forestry act, but an indigenous peasant uprising where Roosevelt and his army of cowboys uh, squash, <laughs> squash but, but, them all. But you know what I'm saying? Where that was always the, the everyone knew that was always the territory of the Soviet Soviet partisans in World War II, of the French resistance, of the Cubans. It, was ne- it never got to be the Americans. We had to do movies about how we're so guilty about Vietnam or about mm-hmm. how our guy got left behind or about how he has PTSD. But now finally we can be the we can be the Cuban rebels, you know, or we can be yep. the, 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 the anti-communists again in the in the in the uprisings. You know, even in Predator. Uh, um, far superior action movie though it's very cursory to the plot the reason Arnold and company go in to their mission where they meet the Predator is that the Soviets are killing I don't know the brave Contra death squads camping out in Colombia at that time whatever the justification was but they were constantly trying with the Soviet invasion they could finally say okay, the roles are switched now. And that's what this movie is really celebrating. Like at the end with the, where everyone kind of dies, I guess Jennifer Gray, wait, no, she dies. Um, yeah, she, Leah Thompson. it's the other, the, the one. Most who, of just, them die. <laughs> wait, most question. Die. I was, the girl who lives though, and uh, it was like nonverbal for most of the movie. Uh, she is, maybe because she's nonverbal, this is just my association, but I'm gonna be honest, it was giving me what's her face from Aliens, the kid. Newt. What's well, Leah Thompson? It's it's the it's the Back to the Future and uh, Caroline in the City. She's like oh. you know she's she she became. At first I went holy shit is that Leah Thompson? I forgot that she was in this. Anyway, yeah. it, it's 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 a classic martyrdom story that that Absolutely. that was always that was always the the domain usually of left wing fighters. And I'm just trying to say, I think ironically enough, it is literally just switching out either American or German armies for the thing that never happened, which was that our uh, troops were fighting Soviet occupiers and that would never would happen. I mean, it's also, it's also pretty funny. I said that this was kind of geopolitically literate in some ways, but it's also pretty funny to just hear the explanation of how this invasion force even broached. Like it's literally, I imagine Milius Milius talking about it. Like it's, um, you know, like in like a Walter Sobchak kind of voice, like it's like, well, there's a center left government in Mexico that right opens up the belly right up the middle of America. And then, you know, we got a front along the continental divide and it's like, yeah, this you sound like a crazy person. Well, that's Alexander Haig apparently was the one who said that he said that Mm -hmm. there should be a Mexican revolution so that they let in and they say mostly illegals. Well, that's, from I mean, that, that is also, by the way, like one of the things that uh, you, you're actually something that's something that occurred to me when I was watching it, which is that like 
these kinds of movies are very useful as exercises in sort of spelling out the fantasies that a lot of conservatives in, you know, actual politics have to leave unspoken because yeah. they're fantasies and they are the yeah. fantasies that drive them. You know, like yes. if, if, yeah. if, if, if narratives are at the core and as I believe of why people believe most of what they believe um, in the case of, you know, the conservative, you know, like like the, the, the deformed fantasies that make up the stories that conservatives tell themselves, like, you know, this is, I guess, like a lot of that getting laid out on the table, not just in the kind of like, you know, like, like, like lust for martyrdom that these people like have in their minds, if not the, like in their, if not the, actually doing themselves, um, the, you know, you, you do get like this, you know, sort of a sense of like, you know, how it's like, well, this is the thing that we've been waiting to happen. You know, this, this is, this is, mm-hmm. this is our version yeah. of like a threads or the day after. Yeah. It's, um, it, it, yeah, they're it's creating a situation, like Mujahideen. right? Like they're yeah, exactly. No, it's it, Dude, which is such like a crazy. Got that Mujahideen fuck, cap at rocks. Yeah. yeah, like that's such a crazy thing to conceive of. Is like, what if kids, like the the Amer- all American football quarterback, was actually a Mujahideen fighter, and yep. creating a context in which that could happen is basically, awesome. you know, again, how you know the movie I, was, I, was what was conceived, and and talking about like how good it kind of felt to execute a Russian who was doing like awful yeah. things, you know, to to you because well they were doing it to our to our parents and putting them on wheat field firing lines, and so like the movie. <laughs> at a certain point you imagine that and and I do think the better version is probably the one that again leans more into what Reynolds was looking for which was that you know it was actually going to care more about this because like some of it is still in here but the transformation that these kids actually do into something that's really horribly ugly. But this movie seems more interested in how they make that transformation and actually become kind of useful to the vision of bloodthirsty revenge in terms of foreign policy that these guys actually wanted them to be like when they do their student uprisings, it's not an ugly thing. It's like a quirky Spielberg, almost like the kids are fighting back against the bullies is kind of tonally how it plays. Like despite the fact that you, have Milius's commitment to the practical destruction and the blood mist of it and stuff but that uh, it's just weird the movie the, maybe because of some of how it's not particularly incredibly directed in terms of like suspense and maybe there should have been some more horror <clears throat> ugliness to the action or something but it's just like if that is if that's what the movie and I think what Brendan is kind of arguing is that it is about this Reynolds transformation that he had in his screenplay to these kids realizing that this killing is kind of ugly and kind of bad which there are <laughs> elements <laughs> kept of that yeah it's just I'm it, it really does feel like it doesn't commit enough to that it becomes Absolutely. more fun to watch well, them scream Wolverines well, and you know like so much fun flip a truck over or something. I said to Noah, I said to Noah, like if you really wanted to follow the analogy that they're pursuing to its, to its, its rightful conclusion. I mean, there would be a scene where Charlie Sheen is in the mountains skinning a Russian alive and, uh, uh, doing, let's say, um, uh, untoward things to him uh, sexually, which is what the <laughs> commanders of the Mujahideen we funded were doing to Russians in Afghanistan. That and was not going to ever be on the screen ever. So you kind of have to, as we keep saying, split the difference uh, well, one in thing this we, unsatisfying we way. 
we haven't mentioned though is that like you know what sort of is though provided as like the fuel for this transformation and what like justifies you know such so sheen before like the final like the the climactic martyrdom scene at the end where they go to meet where they say the shahada and go to meet Allah um, <laughs> the <laughs> the like Charlie Sheen says to um, mute girl like you know like 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 Jed and I we can't go with you you know we we're all spent up. And mm-hmm. part of like the re- the reason that that is supposed to seem as credible to the viewer is because we've also seen by now like two or three different rounds of like the Soviets just like indiscriminately killing civilians, yep. um, as and wit- which are wit- massacres that are witnessed by the Wolverines by the yeah. partisans. <laughs> yes, while and, also being and, what is a Wolverine? It is a small y- yeah, animal yeah, yeah, like yeah, a badger, which but is terribly also, ferocious. But, no, but like that's Milius. <laughs> that's Milius, though. This is where it's like Milius is like a, is really fucking annoying to me because he just steals stuff and then says he says he's doing homage. So like for example. That scene where they're all around, like, the radio and it's going around, like, that's just the longest day. And then it plays that fucking, like, glory, hallelujah. They play a military march in the propaganda radio after doing, like, the coded message thing, which is, like, (laughs) insane to me. Like, think about this. Like, you know, you're America. You have the richest cultural tradition going of any country in the world because you're Rome. You're the, you know, we've got everything. Well, I don't know about that. And what do we play? (laughs) No, I'm just saying, I'm just, like, I'm I'm, I'm being hyperbolic here. Like, (laughs) you've got people behind enemy lines. And what do you broadcast to soothe their nerves? nerves at the end of it like fucking John Phil at that night John Philip Sousa anyway yeah. um, well, well, well also, it should have been little Richard ultimately when he's doing when he's given when he has these Soviet generals giving these lectures about the animals should have like been Wolverine, twist and shout he's, do, he's doing a version of Z um, yeah. where it's the beginning of that movie where they where it's well he like, loves yeah. Costagavras we know that exactly where he because he really talks about Costagavras all the time like where it's a lecture about plants and defoliants and so yeah. He's mm. also again, like he's he's. I think, like in it, to my mind, just got like this, like really crazy and incoherent palette. For, he's like no feel for describing what the Soviets and Cubans should be like. So it's full cartoonish. I but, disagree. Like, the place where he's supposed to, where that in the place where there's supposed to be legible characters and traumas. Instead, we just have like these crazy cartoonish things that then are like used as the things that deaden the souls of Sheen okay. and Swayze and force them to do commit these atrocities. Catas- okay. Uh, okay, but it's. Red Dawn. So, I mean, it's, it's Red Dawn. So I'm not gonna, I wasn't expecting first time I saw it or this time that there was going to be a, you know, anything other than something three notches away from parody. But I do want to say the last thing I, I have to bring up really is I thought it was more interesting and more nuanced than I was expecting the subplot with the Cuban Comandante, played by Ron O'Neill, I think his name is, the actor. Yes. And and what's interesting there, I mean, this the Soviet KGB guy is just is literally a mustache twirling villain. Oh, and you're saying a, that the you're saying that the amorous Latin military officer is not a stereotype? Well, I'm not saying I'm not saying he's not a stereotype. Uh, I'm I'm saying that they cast the Russians, ironically enough, as we've just said, because the Russians were actually the partisans in World War II that they're ripping off in this movie. But they cast the Russians as out of touch, uh, cold, calculating police state guys, and that the Cuban is the one who ha- is in touch with his recent revolutionary history, and is and he says he says out loud he says like I I was a partisan not not so long ago like I'm telling you uh, you know you big wigs you know in in your ivory tower that we're going to create a, a guerrilla insurgency if we don't change how we're doing things and at the end of the movie 
quite in contrast to Red Scorpion, which we can talk about, he is like somewhat of a character who's saying like, this isn't for me. I've become an occupier and I don't want to be, and I'm going back to you. I'm going to resign. And then of course he lets Charlie Sheen and, um, and uh, Patrick Swayze leave because he realizes, Mm -hmm. you know, I was you once in a different context. And And you know, game respect game. Politically, that's all nonsense. But in the (laughs) narrative of the story, it's, I think it's actually, it was more than I was expecting. And uh, again, something that could have been if this movie was a little bit more legit as far as trying to tell. Yeah, they they could have expanded on that. They definitely could have left the stuff in about Powers Booth's character. I do like his line, all this hate's going to burn you kids up. (laughs) That's interesting too, right? See Thomas Howell being like, keeps me warm, you know? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good exchange because he's saying, you know, you're becoming a psycho, basically. It's not saying that it's good to hate. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's again, you, th- then you got all the jingoism, so it's all undermined. But uh, again, it's, this is two, these are two different, two different instincts in the same movie. Yeah. Which is what well, I find because, because I, I think Noah does have a point about just like the situation as a result, because it's being so cartoony and being the thing that is inspiring them to yeah. have this more sort of somber reaction is maybe what makes the somber reaction not play as strongly as it should. Because I think Brendan has a point that like, you know, that stuff is, probably what it was originally supposed to be like and i think milius doesn't handle it like terribly or anything but no, it just, I mean, uh, for, 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 just for, for, for me it just still doesn't work like i, I like wish it worked yeah. better than it does well, i mean to like, milius just clearly like he just he doesn't like i think part of it is that you know and, and this is the, probably the last thing i have to say about this one but like you know he he cares he cares about the obviously he cares about the americans more than he cares about the soviet or cuban characters but like the lack of seriousness in trying to assign them an evil the fact that the two examples he did give publicly were both bullshit like you know there's um <laughs> true like a a uh you know w- when you look at the last scene right when swayze and sheen die um, the astute viewer will notice that it is happening on a bench next to a swing set which yep. is the like one character detail about their histories aside from that they both play football that we get in their conversation with their dad when their dad you know it's like John Milius's you think it's John Milius's attempt like you know feeble attempt at writing you know color for you know Mm -hmm. male you know like family bonding that like he's like remember when I used to push you on the swing set and then you know it it goes on like holy cow the brothers are bleeding damn they're damn they're bleeding out on a bench right next to the swing set and it's it's like cool that's interesting. It's poetic. However, it's yeah, like, what is that in context to? Like, literally, the expl- the last dialogue that happens before the the set piece is this Cuban, you know, guy saying, like, you know, writing to his wife, like, you know, I'm going to announce my resignation. And it's like, what is he just like? He's like, I just want, like, it's it's just like the most, like, you know, to me, like, very contrived, like, horny Latin man stuff. Like, yeah, the, 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 the sentimentalist well, yes, valor yes, of, of the film does yeah, not exactly. end so that's, up that's, really that's, working. Bingo. And like, that's where to me, it just kind of got to this thing of like, okay, like I would be able to appreciate like the, you know, like the poetry or whatever of like having these characters with like, you know, their fanatics resolution here. If it wasn't and that kid hanging over the tank barrel, having just been shot in like that winter cavalry set piece, which is one of the stronger ones, actually, when they all learn horse riding, very American West of them. (laughs) Like it's part of is like, you know, I would like it's just the emotional beat. Like if I'm to explain why it is that like some of the genuine emotional or even more sophisticated emotional beats of this movie don't land, it's because, like, well, what the, their counterweight is, like... Yeah, like like literally like like John Bircher stuff that, like, you know, that, like, like, that, like, minor James Elroy characters would, like, read on the toilet. Also, <laughs> it is silly 
that there's literally five kids and that's like yeah. that's the guerrilla army. I couldn't I couldn't shake that. I'm like and also it's like the same two commanders from the Soviet side. William Smith, I think is his name. He's in a lot of garbage, but he's kind of going Brian the, um, James. Yeah, no, he's in Red Scorpion. You're thinking oh, of Red fuck, Scorpion. Fuck, 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 fuck. Uh, that's right. William, Are you thinking of the Williams, guy that's in Blade Runner? Is that what you were thinking of? That's yeah, what he's thinking yeah, of. I was almost about to do the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just talking. I'm talking about the guy who has the mustache who says it was bad to re, to take revenge on civilians. We need to just find the the Wolverines. Mm-hmm. Um, he has that cool kind of very Z like sequence, as Noah said, where he's he's reviewing the military strategy and and he gets killed by. Um, Patrick Swayze uh, at the end. He's like the final yeah, boss. Yeah, the, the, that scene made me wish that John Milius at some point in his career actually got to make like his version of like Battle of Algiers. It literally reminded me yeah. of that opening although, when he comes out. He's like, I'm the Spetsnaz no, hunter. But the, you know? dude, this is, it's also, that's a great scene when that guy dies is like an amazing example though of his limitations as a director because like how is that standoff? Basically, we're just waiting for a yeah. train to pass and then he walks past the rail and oh, what's this? Patrick Swayze says something to draw his attention as he kills him and they shoot each other and it's yeah. like this incredibly I found a very like unsatisfying death yeah. for Swayze and like a bad like you know like you know say what you will about the Battle of Algiers dude at least it was like fucking Italian neorealist like cinema you know like whatever oh, it looks guy, amazing it's amazing well, yeah, well, exactly. that guy should have been the villain the whole time like they kind of they kind of didn't pick a villain yeah, like make the Spetsnaz super soldier the bad yeah. guy, you know? Yeah, you weren't, you, you weren't sure if the Cuban was supposed to be somebody you were secretly rooting for or not because he's given, like, good line, good guy stuff and bad, bad guy stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, that's his attempted nuance. But, yeah, there's the KGB, like, snidey, snidely whiplash-looking guy, but he never, he just gets blown up at the end. He never really rises to, like, confront the heroes. The Spetsnaz guy... No, the, the action the scenes guy. are lacking, which is what yeah. did surprise me. Like Milius, I mean, again, I, I liked a lot of the action scenes in, in, in Conan. So I don't know. I just yeah. there was something weird about this. And especially when we'll talk about it uh, when we get to Red Scorpion. But like Joseph Zito in terms of like just constructing shots and constructing tension mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. actually putting beats where a character has to make a decision or, you know, do go on some sort of physical mission. Like, how is yeah. there no like procedural element at all? Like these are kids doing crazy missions. And it's like. How does it just feel like, again, it's like students just like flipping their desks over and like raiding a classroom or something like that's the extent to how it depicts this. There's no variation to the set pieces. There's no and and it, it does affect the movie that by the time you get to the big bad guys being murdered, you just you don't feel anything. You're not you're not like I, I do. I don't even get the catharsis that you yeah. think the movie is supposed to be giving you because it doesn't, you know, give you any kind of tension or strategy or it's just yeah. it's striking and counter striking. Where is Rambo setting up his traps and then right. seeing people die like in slasher sequences like, or something? Like what you know? is the command outpost they've been working toward the whole time and now they're finally there and this is exactly. the Death Star. You know, I agree. All right. Yeah, so, 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 so as you get into the final half hour and that's all the movie is and you're not even feeling the catharsis of their martyrdom because it's not even indulging in it. It's, I don't let's, know. It doesn't work. Let's be positive before we end on, death, <laughs> on what's it called? Red Dawn. Um, Red Dawn. Uh, my f- Brendan's uh, favorite movie, by the way. My I'm favorite just gonna, movie. <laughs> uh, apparently, Millius favorite director. Appar- <laughs> apparently, Millius didn't even really like it. So no, um, he. Re- I, I I enjoy. I, I enjoyed it. I was happy to have watched it. Um, so what is everyone's favorite scene? My favorite was this, the execution scene where they where because the, I think it's pretty good dialogue. It's got that great moment where he's like, I, "We need to execute him." Um, 
which, you know, if you watch Army of Shadows, it's, it's arguably a little bit better done in that movie, but it's a, it's a thing in resistance movements that you, you can't accept traitors, so it's a real problem. And mm. it pits our protagonists against each other, and it's tense. And then there's, a, I think, pretty pretty good line about what it means to be in that line of work, which is they go, Sheen's like, don't do it. How does that make us different from them? And he is Swayze, because we live here, or we're from here, or something like that. And that's mm-hmm. essentially the justification of every of every guerrilla fighter or, or every resistance fighter is, you know, we're going to do some pretty nasty stuff, but Hey, we live here. You know, that's the, that's the difference. Uh, and we're just trying to get back what's ours or what we perceive as ours. And I like how Swayze can't do it. And then the dead eyed kid just blows him away. Like, like in that wide shot, I thought that was pretty effective. Yeah, See, see Thomas Howell's Robert, which is a perfect for you to be your favorite scene. Cause my favorite scene is the thing that I think undermines the scene that you're talking about, but I'm being Great. positive because I actually do like the scene itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert making his brave stand with an AK 47 and screaming Wolverines while he's literally yeah. hailed down in gunfire by the mill 24. gun. I like that too. I like that too. <laughs> it's my, such an incredible moment of him just being like, this is like the ultimate valor martyrdom of you know just being a kid shouting the school mascot at a giant fucking soviet gunship as it pulverizes him i think it works i think it's his arc he cried in the beginning and then he became a dead-eyed martyr i mean that's that that works for me yeah i my favorite scene was admittedly the i I, the harry dean stand at the fence scene is that's fine too it's pretty incredible it's great and the thing that i like is because it's a great it's a great example of like an actor like selling just like an insane an insane script an insane premise and he just like he makes it work and the specific part is when he says i was tough on you but it was for a reason, and that reason. So it's like I just love the implication <laughs> hanging there of like, so I beat you, I abused you, I was really bad to you. Um, your mother welcome. has never been brought up, probably because I was. But it's really going to turn you into something amazing. That's exactly. going to be strong like, you know, and defend like your it, country. It was, you know? Exactly. I thought that that was like, and he sells it. You know, like he makes it really damn convincing. Um, yeah, I actually totally agree with what you just said there mine i was gonna also say that the harry dean stanton at the re-education camp uh scene was my favorite and specifically because we didn't bring it up yet but you just did was the um the the abuse uh that was implied and how they were just like yeah now you can be a super soldier so fucking i'm father of the year you're welcome um i thought that that was honestly hilarious uh and in a way that still kind of worked given the, the the who's making the film and and also just the the premise itself like his his weird contradictions in that scene i find very just fascinating like having him the the sons be like be quiet but he still can't uh, keep it in himself he has to yell avenge me at the same time like there's just no. i don't know there's i don't know if it was just the the writing being a little screwy or if he was actually trying to 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 dive into some contradictions that that father might have but either way it, it entertained me and i found it very interesting yeah think- and, and we also do have to do our uh, rating round as well so let's yes. get some ratings ratings from the boys this, the, I, I will say brendan has slightly convinced me to hang around the high two area just because i want i, I do i do <laughs> oh, wow. want to acknowledge i do want to acknowledge there's some there's some stuff 
that Milius and Reynolds are doing in terms of the sentimentality and the self-seriousness, that's not all bad. There's stuff in there that the, you know, the kids are trying to deliver it. And there's some sequences in there that you could imagine being a little bit more poetic in a movie that fully committed to being that version of the movie, uh, or fully committed to just being, you know, the insane psycho violent, you know, uh, you know, martyrdom fantasy where, you know, sort of like, uh, high school kids wearing letter jackets become, um, Mujahideen, uh, freedom fighters, uh, for their NRA dads locked in education concentration camps. And, you know, like I part of me just kind of goes like, unfortunately it's doing both movies. And I think yeah. if it committed to doing one or the other, mm-hmm. it, we probably have a stronger movie and the two things just kind of cancel each other out, um, a, a little bit, especially when we just have such good comparisons to make in terms of people making crazy fascist cartoons in the 70s and 80s and really Mm. leaning into the style or like Michael Winner, like actually believing all of it and creating something just actually kind of evil Mm -hmm. um, or the (laughs) If Footmen Tire You as well or things like that. So, you know, part of me just, yeah, that's that's why I can't kind of, I want to, I want to almost be like, I don't dislike it that much, Mm -hmm. but it just, it it doesn't, it doesn't quite work for me. So it's going to hang around in like the, the high two territory. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I think I, I really almost liked this this film. It's just I, I found it, it got really monotonous and very repetitive uh, by the end, and I just mm-hmm. I lost interest. Uh, I did kind of enjoy watching, you know, the relationships between uh, the the troops, the rebellion, um, but a lot of it, like besides Swayze and maybe. I think they try to do something with Thompson a little bit with Powers Booth. They don't yeah. really dive into it too much. I think some of it got cut. That's what I read. Mm-hmm. Um, they were besides, supposed to have sex, yeah. But apparently yeah. even test audiences in 1984 were like, uh. That's a little, <laughs> yeah, that's a little strange. Yeah, totally. <laughs> that, was, that was probably a good cut. Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, I don't know. But I it think does, you could have said uh, some very interesting things. I'll take the majority <laughs> position on that. Yeah. But, well, the thing is, is that because it's cut, it does, you know, take away any nuance of those characters. So really the only one that I could latch onto as a real character that you see a, t- a lot of development in, or at least more <clears throat> just interesting performance moments or character moments was Swayze. Um, there are a couple Mm. still with the, with the other kids. I just found them like, I don't, I didn't really learn any of their names. I found their personalities to be kind of, um, very similar. So it was hard to really differentiate them a lot of the time. Um, It's Swayze and his brother versus killer kid. Uh, see Thomas. Yeah. 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 And, um, and as much as like, there is a lot of action in this, uh, it isn't the most, exciting all the time because no, it's, it's so like the flat. First, yeah it's a little flat like the first time you see it you're kind of like okay this isn't is this isn't bad but you're hoping that as the scenes come as the movie progresses that they're gonna get a little bit more they're gonna expand some way they're gonna get more creative maybe add a little bit more style in each sequence but it's just kind of the same you know flat explosions and there's really no squib work or anything like that i think this was a the first pg-13 movie ever in America, I think, is what I read. Yeah, uh, so, Temple of Doom had a lot of controversy surrounding it that resulted in the PG-13 rating So Milius, Mil- okay, yeah. Milius was on either side of the PG-13 Yeah, Milius rating. is the reason the PG-13 rating exists. And made, <laughs> made the first one. Yeah, so, yep. and, and, and I feel like you can, you feel that a little bit, like it pulls it back. I really think if he was going to make this, this, this very hard-hitting 
um, emotional war film, he would need it to be more violent and more, I guess, more visceral mm -hmm. with that violence, more visually uh, mm -hmm. impactful. So I think it would have helped if they actually had more squib yeah. work. And like what we were talking about before, like they should have had the teenagers like straight up torturing these commies in the <laughs> forest and shit. Like sure. that's what that's what would have made it, uh, I think, just so extreme and more. Yeah. Um, it, it would have had that thing where we've been talking a lot about how the, the it's like two films trying to balance each other and it should have just yeah, been it should, one it, way it, or the It shouldn't other. have been Rambo. It should have been Deliverance. You know? yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah. And I think that's pretty much everything I had. Oh, and yeah. the other thing was oh. that I the, the army itself... Um, like the the invaders, like they're they're obviously you know they're they're communists, but it doesn't seem like it, I feel like any army could have been swapped for them when it comes to yeah. how they actually talk about things, and it, it doesn't really dive into the ideology at all. And I would have been more interested in how those two, you know, the 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 um, uh, like America and the Soviets, their both their ideologies would clash more. Instead, it's just kind of like they're on the ground and now they're fighting, and there's not much talk about mm -hmm. it. Well, it's it's um, one group likes football and one group likes Sergei Eisenstein. Though, right. so that's ultimately the battle. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, fair so, enough. Yeah, it's you know, a, fair enough. It's a strong <laughs> a strong two for me. I I almost liked it, but it just it falls short by the end, and I got a little yeah. tired. I think it needs to cut like twenty minutes or something like that. Yeah, for you, Brendan and Noah. I two. will say uh, two. You give, you're giving it a two. I said um, two. It's a two. Two scoops. Um, <laughs> I will say that you got to give it the three, man. Come on. Oh, I I was about to I was about to tell you. I'm giving it a three. <laughs> I, I I think that look, it's a little bit of a boost for me. I, I don't disagree with anything. You, we've been kind of agreeing the whole time. I'm just I'm yeah. just sort of uh, boosting a little bit of the other argument. I do get the I, three, honestly. I, I I think that there's a level where sometimes it, it's earned its place as a mm -hmm. kind of as something you have to see. You know, even if it's not exactly what you thought or what you would have preferred when you see it, we all know about Red Dawn. You know, everyone's mm -hmm. heard of Red Dawn. And so That's true. there was a 2012 remake. Everyone should check it out. A kid in it <laughs> says, dude, we're living Call of Duty and it sucks right now. <laughs> well, I was, Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton also in uh, the 2012 so, Red Dawn. So, so, mine, <laughs> so my rating is a three. With that out of the way, should we, is there anything you want to say about the remake at all? Because there's... There's really I haven't, I haven't really seen it. No, the, the only thing that it, I right, wanted Josh? to mention about it because I did rewatch it is that apparently the the uh, the invaders were originally written in that script Chinese. to be Chinese. Yep. And the studio got cold feet about eliminating the China box office Correct. as a market for the film. And last minute they switched it to being North Korea, which that was the only thing. Yep. With CGI, which is fucking crazy. They just um, overdubbed. Wait, wait, wait. They just they, they over had it already recorded as yeah. A they shot it that then, way in everything. Oh my god, I didn't know that. That's fucking wild. It, it's so bad. It's so it, it, watching that. If I had watched that one first, I probably would have threed this one. Um, <laughs> Two things when yeah. I was doing them. Two things. That, well, if you watch them back to back, this is an instant three compared to the other yeah. one. <laughs> But, yeah. but if but two two things that are funny a like I said in this movie they talk about how the Chinese are on our side but then by 2012 they're that they were supposed to be the villain but I also like mm. how um, it's actually kind of a clever clever you know relatively speaking it's kind of a clever premise in the, in the finished cut where it's North Koreans which is the dumbest villain you could I mean I know why Americans think North Korea can blow us up at any moment see our season three for that but the 
reason that the Chinese were there in the in the original version was that they were they had bought up most of America, or, or we owed them so much money that they were here to collect debts and like take over part. That's actually of the country, sick. Which That's is, actually which sick. is a really clever, <laughs> which is a pretty clever way to explain like why they're invading. Is like, well, you're not paying us the bill, you know. We we're going to take you over now, as opposed to just the North Koreans magically this tiny, yeah, you know, China as uh, soprano goons coming no. to collect. That's I thought that was pretty funny when I read that, but That's yes, and it, it never ended up even playing in China because the Chinese were still like, we know what you did. So, <laughs> <laughs> so they, they, they screwed, they, they didn't, they screwed it up. That's um, so uh, in, 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 incredible. But yeah, we, no. we, we should move on. The no. last thing I didn't get to get to that I wanted to highlight is just very simple. It was a friend of the pod who's coming on in a couple of weeks, Branson Reese, the cartoonist. <clears throat> he had one of my favorite reviews on Letterboxd for Red Dawn. And it's not mm. even deciding on the assessment of the film or anything. It was just my friend's dad was a cop. And after hearing me say communism, <laughs> quote unquote, works in theory, he made me watch this in his basement. After the movie ended, he was like, I didn't remember that movie being so bad. And I was like, I mean, it wasn't awful. And so nobody learned anything. <laughs> That's the movie for sure. And that is ultimately, I feel like that that little shrug connecting between these two where they were like, you know, he's like, wow, that was really bad. You know, it's not that, that bad. bad. <laughs> you know, that's all. I feel like we just had that experience together. So but you also but, uh, we should nothing. wrap it up yes. on Red Dawn before we get too crazy here. And uh, we should uh, move along over into Red Scorpion. Stick around. Now he's their punishment. They think they control him. Let's kick some. Think again. Back to my need some help! Dolph Lundgren. Red Scorpion. All right, we are back and we are talking Red Scorpion, the 1988 war action thriller directed by Joseph Zito and starring Dolph Lundgren. Uh, and despite this one not being particularly popular or living in cultural consciousness in the same way that Red Dawn does, I really wanted to talk about this one as the pairing because like that film, in some ways, it's obviously stemmed from the aftermath of the popularity, uh, cinematically speaking, of something like Rambo. Mm. And it also has an insane creative crew and production history that I wanted to hear Brendan and Noah uh, react to and explain a little bit if they already <laughs> knew. Uh, that could have only occurred in the 1980s. And so on mm. the creative side, we have a couple of Sleazoid's legends involved here. We have G Joseph Zito, one of Canon's major B-movie guys who made, as Brendan was mentioning, some of Chuck Norris's more well-known sort of like army actioners, Invasion USA, Missing in Action, uh, but also alongside like some pretty gruesome movies, like slasher movies, like The Prowler, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and yeah, in my opinion, good. The Best Friday the 13th, the fourth one, the final chapter. Agree, um, agree. He is just a like really lean, mean, nasty filmmaker. The Prowler has one of the best head explosions you will see in the 1980s outside <laughs> of like Bill Lustig's Maniac. Final ch in Final Chapter, Jason shoves a knife through a movie screen playing a stag porno and into the back of a horny teenager's skull, which is just like maybe the most fitting sex and death image that franchise ever conjured. Yep. So you pair... A guy like Zito with a, you know, with the cinematographer, uh, Will Fernandez, um, who does a lot of canon movies. You have Jay Chataway, 
doing the music on this. We didn't get to mention the music on the last one, which has like a weirdly sort of like rousing, uh, kind of like patriotic uh, bent yeah, to it. Like Maybe not weirdly, that's kind of what it was going for. But it do- so it doesn't fit some of the uglier images they tried to put in. But in this, you have the guy who did Bill Lustig's very grimy exploitation horror action films like Maniac Cop um, and uh, Vigilante, which is actually maybe one of the moodiest and more tonally disturbing knockoff Death Wish sequel movies that were made. Um, Mm -hmm. And then in front of the camera, obviously Cohen's regular M.M. Walsh is in this, who we've talked about recently on Blood Simple, Blade Runner, Raising Arizona, incredible actor, and Dolph Lundgren in the lead role, who we adore on this show and dedicate an entire month on the show, and whose voice you hear in the intro every week, saying yes. that you better be listening to Zlee's yeah, that's right. Uh, Dolph Lundgren is our boy. That month that we did uh, on him was... Really, really fascinating. Uh, We loved dissecting his ability to slot himself into roles that Arnold and Stallone basically passed on for a decade. And somehow through that, carving out a unique space for himself and choosing legitimately interesting filmmakers to work with. This came out around the time when he was still figuring out like what that presence was. This came Mm. out shortly after Rocky Four, which made him known to the world and Masters of the Universe, which really didn't really do much for him. Um, But he'd soon be on his way to working with like Mark Goldblatt on his Punisher film, Craig R. Baxley and Dark Angel, Mark Lester, Roland Emmerich for Universal Soldier, oh, yeah. uh, Johnny Mnemonic, uh, Russell Mulcahy with fucking that Silent Trigger movie, which is like still one of the craziest direct-to-video, like sniper Joseph von Sternberg as like horror films we've ever talked about, and yeah. even John Woo on an insane failed TV pilot called Blackjack, which if no one has seen should definitely be looking into that because I would have watched ten seasons of Dolph Lundgren <laughs> oh, yeah. as a, a guy who can't see uh what, what, what was it white or white is like his uh his like kryptonite somehow yeah. like and and it which literally resulted in the villain like throwing milk at him and shit like that <laughs> and he also killed people by like throwing cards at them and it was wonderful it's fantastic um, yeah but so like this is a promising crew one that you'd imagine could deliver on some deliciously ugly b-movie heaven and i would say in terms of just comparing apples on the uh, mm-hmm. on on just the action scenes alone, I think Zito wins out in comparison to Milius kind of easily and handily. Um, but the real bizarre twist to all of this, and which is what I'm really hoping that Brendan and Noah will be able to talk to us a little bit about, is the producer and developer of this <laughs> film. And it was actually through Will and Matt over at Chapa who made me known to this fact when they talked about it. But this was made by and and it was produced and it was even like basically written. Um, or he hired a writer to tell the story he wanted to tell by Republican lobbyist uh, Casino Jack Abramoff. Um, (laughs) And actually, before we got on, I had just finished watching uh, Casino Jack, the uh, movie that the biopic about his uh, casino fraud, corruption, and bribery scandal made with Kevin Spacey starring as him pre-House of Cards. Not a good movie. Pre a lot of stuff. Yes, pre a lot of stuff. Uh, but I did like learning from that movie that the guy did famously like just really loved movies. And even when in prison, he started a screenwriting class and a movie night for his fellow inmates. So like this <laughs> is yeah. a crazy right wing lobbyist guy who just really loved movies, wanted to make movies. Uh, he, he grew up in Hollywood and apparently is currently awaiting sentencing on crypto fraud charges right now uh, as we speak. Still so he's yeah, he, he's still going. Uh, but this guy, he watched the Rambo sequel 
tools and went, okay, how can I use this type of character and style and turn it into propaganda, not just for America, but for his specific interest in aiding, training, and arming anti-communist guerrilla movements and the South African apartheid government via his International Freedom Foundation, ending up with the concept of Dolph is a Russian KGB agent sent to Africa to kill an anti-communist black revolutionary, but who, of course, over the course of the film, needs to have a change of heart. And he sees how the Russians and Cuban allies are killing and repressing the locals and helping them like Rambo helped uh, the Mujahideen fighters in Rambo 3. Um, But this has an insane production history that I can't wait to get into about him you know, actually taking money via his foundation from the South African government, apparently, you know, actually breaking international boycotts and protests to shoot this movie on location, which has the the effect of it basically actually being an evil movie, but also kind of benefiting from the fact that it looks pretty authentic. So your brain will kind of juggle those two things as we talk about this. But maybe uh, Brendan and Noah, Brendan, you were saying you were rewatching. Noah, was this your first time watching? Uh, Yes, this was my first time watching. Um, Uh, I was, uh, I, I thought it was the coolest nature documentary about Namibia that I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> there, there is a great uh, elemental purgatory section of the film where Dolph mm-hmm. does become one with the land and become the the uh, the, the, oh, the titular God. red scorpion. Uh, both oh, of these yeah. movies actually have uh, a, yep. a, like a return to tradition. Uh, we 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 love the <laughs> land. You know, we we're gonna protect it. You know, yeah. kind of. Well, I mean, they're also them. they're also operating from the same place in terms of like what is the dilemma that they're sort of purporting to to solve as far as you know. Like, um, like, like for example, you know, in the like, right, like this is this is we're getting to get, you know tell a story <laughs> in which like the Americans are, um, you know, like like the, the we're the victims, we get to be partisans, etc. And then you know this is one where the Soviets we we are both getting or the audience is getting both one an insight that actually when the Soviets say they're liberating places, they're not liberating them; they're just um, setting up you know like little Orwellian puppet states. And um, furthermore, that the people who are, uh, you know, like that they that the people that they're making, you know, the Spetsnaz or whatever are like, you know, <laughs> these, good, like, actually. <laughs> like, these like robot automaton types who need to be deprogrammed through, you know, armed struggle, um, you know, because it's an action movie. And to me, I thought that that was sort of like the the, the first part of that um was pretty like compelling and interesting to me from the jump. I thought this movie was actually the other 1988 anti-Soviet movie, the beast directed by Kevin Reynolds, who we were discussing earlier. Uh, oh. I, I misremembered the, the title. Um, and then I remembered it was the Dolph Lundgren one, and I thought, oh, oh, right. Because, <laughs> but, I mean, uh, it's it's got some fun stuff in it. Um, there's a lot... That, okay, however evil listeners might have considered the last film and its intention or its execution with, you know, um, Reagan's Secretary of State directing it and handling John Milius, the, um, you know, fever dream of the opening um, invasion uh, and trying to propagandize against peace with the Soviets. This movie is leagues and leagues more evil. 
uh, in an actual... 100%. But see, do you not think that it's more out in the open? It's more committed? Because that was your argument in the last segment. Yeah, I mean... It's more honest. It's it's more... more, I mean, honestly, I don't think it's trying to do anything as interesting uh, as as what Red Dawn was trying and perhaps failing to do. But... um, It's it's definitely adhering more to a generic structure of a killing machine sees who the real oppressors are and becomes deprogrammed and becomes a killing machine for the opposite side. So, like, it's already confused even in its own generic description. I'm conscious, I think we might have overloaded your your listeners with our boring history um, Politico analysis in the the Red Dawn section. So I'm going to be brief here, but we have to establish a couple things before understanding why this is such a ridiculous um, uh, project. Uh, In the 1970s, a conflict began in the nation of Angola uh, in which a Marxist government faced off, or a Marxist party faced off with the uh, CIA-backed and apartheid South Africa-backed Christian anti-communist forces in that country, uh, which basically became a civil war. The man behind... The actual guerrilla leader, or whatever you want to call him, anti-communist leader, who won the support of the Reagan administration, or the Carter and then Reagan administration, uh, and South Africans, was Jonas Savimbi. And we do an episode on this in season two, uh, in a bonus episode of Blowback, so if you'd like a longer thing about this, you can go there. But um, essentially, while in this film it's, it's portrayed as the Soviets trying to take over or crush a, a, again, freedom fighters in a country that is trying to sort itself out. Um, it was actively the apartheid government and the CIA um, fighting to destroy the most popular force in the country, which was the MPLA. That was the Marxist government. And it was not the Soviets that went in, but the Cubans, which is interesting. Another interesting thing about the movie that we can talk about. The Cubans under Fidel Castro uh, felt like they couldn't really make as much um, progress in Latin America anymore, given that the, the Americans were, you know, had their eye on them all over the place. So in Africa, there was a chance to back other revolutionary movements, especially those who were still dealing with the aftermath of colonialism and neocolonialism on the part of the United States and South Africa, the apartheid regime, pretty much as bad as it gets. And so Angola was the site of that, and it spread into Namibia, which is where this uh, movie was shot. And uh, while they don't name the country uh, in the movie, it, you could view That's it as That's meant either, to be a fictional African country, it's, but it's absolutely a stand-in for Angola. Angola or Namibia. And, yeah. um, and that is uh, the context through which... It's half the context because that's where we were actually doing evil shit. But then the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan, as we've as we've said by now, gave everyone the ability to present the American freedom fighters everywhere in the world as 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 the yeah, good trying guys. to kick the Soviets out of places they don't belong. So then we they they basically are taking the Angola Namibia situation and merging it with the Afghanistan situation. Uh, to turn it into a nameless African country where Afghanistan is kind of happening in Africa, basically. And yeah. that's unsurprising because, as you mentioned, and I'm happy to actually, Josh, give you the, the lion's share of the Jack Abramoff stuff because I am I could be a little rusty. But the, you know, uh, longstanding con man and right-wing um, uh, operator, Jack Abramoff, worked, who was working to discredit Nelson Mandela and the ANC in 
South Africa, uh, was behind the propaganda efforts to boost the um, the profile of Jonas Savimbi. And so this movie, yep. he's essentially a character in the movie who's great and who Dolph Lundgren is sent to assassinate, but learns yes. is a true is a true man of the people. Um, and yep. not getting any stinger missiles from Washington, which is in fact what what really happened, and was also a um, you know an, an yeah, this is actually unsavory. incredibly specific propaganda versus yes. Red Dawn, which had a little bit. It was painting yes. in broad strokes of symbols. This yes. is like incredibly like we have a specific leader. We have an like we have an anag. Oh, sorry, we have an analogy for, and we want you to like cathartically feel your way through a movie you've seen before where they are being oppressed and you're someone who can help them. And all yeah. of a sudden, you know, you're going to actually help them, but it could Except not be more of a revisionist, like ridiculous uh, way of doing that. Which is why they don't say what country it is. Cause there's always the chance you could read about it in the, in, in the paper and go, <laughs> Oh, what? Uh, that doesn't sound right. Uh, that guy's a Christian fundamentalist warlord. Uh, so, yeah. you know, they, they play it kind of vague, uh, in, yeah, no, in, no, not like some like spiritual leader, you know, yeah. but anyway, that that's the background. So when we're talking about like, why is it so fucked up? Is that a, they violated what was widely considered to be a taboo, which is working with the, uh, South African government in any way, shape or form. If you were an artist, um, they violated that. Uh, cooperated with the government, got a lot of goodies for the movie that way. It was funded and produced by a lobbyist for South Africa and for its its puppets in the region. Yeah. And then, of course, so this, so the, the this was a big no no even amongst like movie studios. Like they were being yeah. boycotted and protested for doing this kind of stuff, and they were told to stop filming, which they wouldn't do. And they at one point actually did have to stop shooting this movie at one point due to the yep. assassination and execution of members of the anti apartheid anti apartheid liberation group, the Correct. African National Congress. Congress, uh, who were being murdered, like not far from where they were shooting, using the military equipment that they were, you know, like not the exact devices, but like they were this, the South African military that was carrying out those executions was letting them borrow their vehicles and weapons to use in the movie yes. doing their literal racist genocide right next to where they were shooting it's it would crazy be like, it would be like if transformers kingdom of the moon was shooting in iraq while we were doing fallujah basically <laughs> right yeah like it's actually insanely evil yeah. so you know <laughs> let's just get that off 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 uh, let's, yeah. nip that, let's li nip that in the bud yeah <laughs> and but you know, narratively, they they kick things off by just showing you, you know, some slideshow images of Mr. Dolph Lundgren. And yes. I, I do like that they basically are doing Ivan Drago exploitation because they even have yep. his hair like his hair on the poster that doesn't match the hair that he has in the movie. Like they just <laughs> they're like, did you like Rocky four? Well, you know, come check out Rocky, <laughs> Rocky five. Uh, Rambo looks different, you know, yeah. where he is the sweaty robotic meathead. Well, no, so no, 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 no. It's it's Rocky. Five. It's we want we want like just a. Oh, wait, sorry. I, I misunderstood you. Please continue. No, <laughs> where cut he is that. the uh, cut Noah being being <laughs> obtuse. We gotta cut that as well. Uh, he is the uh, sweaty robotic meathead Soviet Spetsnaz operator from Ukraine, mm. and in a in and he appears in an ominous political backroom filled with cigar smoke and <laughs> grinning, and the uh, Soviets and Cubans uh, uh, all and speaking the English. General 
all speaking English and the general Vortac played by TP McKenna. <laughs> speaking of, uh, Sam, uh, Sam Peckinpah, actually straw yeah. dogs, yeah. um, with, uh, being sent to this fictional African country to assassinate this ruthless anti-communist rebel leader and a killer of children who was nonetheless beloved is probably my favorite detail in the uh, biography that they give of the, of the guy well, where they were like, be honest, no. <laughs> Yeah, well, because he's just like, well, you know, he's like Dolph immediately goes, well, would would he like, well, they must hate him then if he's doing all these well, terrible things to them. And they're to like, actually, Soviet they propaganda, love him. I guess. It's, it's, yeah, exactly. No, that's that. what's yeah. funny is like, yeah. he's he, like, he's already questioning his orders yeah. and the propaganda like yeah. before he's even left. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, he is meant to assassinate this Engo Sundata, who, yes. uh, as uh, Brendan mentioned, was the stand-in for Jonas Savimbi, and who is leading an armed guerrilla movement against the government, and they are aiding Soviet, Czechoslovakian, and Cuban forces. And he is actually assigned to one of the captured warlords, a man named Kalunda Kintash, played by Al White, yeah. to go undercover and befriend him, and basically like locate his superior uh, on 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 the way there. And you, but it, it is interesting that right off the bat, you can tell by the way he interacts with them and the way he carries even his physique i think king fucking kong emmett wash calls him at one point mm. that he he does not respect like his communist leaders like at all right you know mm. he's just like you know he's just uh you know it's actually why he's perfect as someone who's going to go undercover and get him arrested himself arrested for disorderly conduct because mm-hmm. he, he's just like you know when, when when he's just drunkenly like beating up his fellow soldiers and like spraying <laughs> machine gun fire into the bar all around him and stuff you're like this kind of makes more sense for the character than the idea that he is like a an ideological believer in the cause of any kind he's really. not evan drago in this no not despite the fact that he has also been programmed to be, you know, right. uh, you know, a, a killer for the, the cause. I, I do like that line too. Are you out of your mind? He's like, no, just out of bullets. Yep. <laughs> he tried. He tried to sell it. Yeah, Dolph, Dolph, uh, unfortunately, he is being asked to do like a midpoint between like a Stallone and uh, Schwarzenegger. And we talked about this a lot when we talked about his full career is that he did get a lot better as an actor when he realized that he like didn't have to play into the image that the Mm -hmm. execs clearly wanted him to be. And he started actually he's actually a funny guy. He actually is better Mm -hmm. in like the buddy cop stuff that he was doing, like that movie with Brandon Lee showdown in little Tokyo and stuff. And yeah, yeah, this this is not his final hour he's as an not, actor i would say he was still learning english too to be fair uh, uh, he's he, uh, yeah i mean uh, i i have i i have nothing but love for dolph lundgren but he is not char- charismatic or compelling in the film it's just it, uh, it falls flat uh, his character yeah. falls flat because he's not given anything he's just supposed to be this glistening you know i mean he looks Soviet great Turco. he looks great. he looks awesome like, oh, there's the so short many shorts? shots there's so Sick. many shots that just begin with him lying in the dirt naked basically <laughs> except for like a loincloth or some shit and uh-huh. then he just like pulls himself up like it's pretty i was honestly like i was expecting more cobra kind of stuff but there's really a lot of sequences of lundgren just like you know Splayed. with like the most like the most perfect body imaginable yeah like, it's more yeah, like i love though. that scene where he's stripping and walsh is screaming yep. like take it off take yep. it all off and they've yes. been literally incorporating this moment into the film yep. so that when the mortar fighter fire eventually hits and the action scene starts it's so dolph can be shirtless and greased up while he's you know firing his uh you know his 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 rifle and everything like that they really want like the commando era take it. uh sort of like schwarzenegger shots take it for what you will i think that was the best scene in the film I thought that was my favorite scene. I thought it was the That's best a good executed. Scene. I mean, I actually will say personally, I like the 
a whole original escape before he hits the actual like rebel camp itself. Mm -hmm. Like the, the, the the sequence where they meet Dewey Ferguson, who is Mm -hmm. a American reporter. They call propagandist played Mm -hmm. by M. Emmett Walsh Mm -hmm. in a really great actor, but they also, they give this character like no detail. Like I I assume he was supposed to be like this movie's version of like James Woods in Salvador where he's like exposing war crimes, but like doing so a bit like, selfishly but he's yeah. also just kind of like a symbol of like the free loving american schlob a he little bit it's kind of a strange trust, role he doesn't <laughs> trust uh the, he doesn't trust dolph that's his main character no. point until he does and then uh, his yes yeah and, and and he's the one who's trying to help this you know this uh this supposed warlord kintash escape the you know the evil russian prison guards including one played by uh as brian i think james. noah wanted to mention early uh yeah. brian james the the the, the weird looking guy from blade runner as yep. everyone knows him and he's also <laughs> in total recall oh yep. that's right too yeah. and he's in i mean he's in it like his whole thing is is that he died i mean not his whole thing is that he died like he died in like the <laughs> two uh but like he was in five million different movies like it's kind of like uh yeah, southern comfort flesh and blood well, he's in red um, heat he's in another red movie which that, is red heat that's true yeah, uh, also recognizable character actor and he's always was um, he in the west wing am i getting that right too probably oh, I feel I like he was. In the, I feel like he was a Secret Service agent in The West Wing. But I, I just watched him recently in Tango and Cash. Actually, oh um, wow! Because I, 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 every time I, he pops up, I'm always like, "Who the hell is that guy?" And then I look him up, and I'm like, "Oh right, it's this guy." I you know, know it's, guy. I've always wondered which came first, the Tango or the Cash. Mm. Mm. <laughs> mm. He and uh, he and Emmett, the movie doesn't answer it actually. <laughs> he and Emmett seem to be having the most fun, I would say, with their characters. Like uh, like Brian James, every time he's on screen, he's got that. It, it's pretty similar to the, to the to the performance he puts on with Blade Runner. He's got that very wide eyed, kind of maniacal stare. Um, what happens to him though? Did any of you pick up what? Does he just leave? He just kind of isn't in it at some point. I don't okay. know. Yeah, this is my second time watching it, and I actually was trying to pay attention because I I always can't figure out why he's not like in the finale. Um, (laughs) I have no idea because they set him up as kind of like the big guy that he would fight or something, but I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, they have like a general guy that (laughs) is more just the the guy giving orders, and Brian James plays the one that's more like on the ground. He's he's burning people with cigars and shooting people and all of that. But yeah, he's I don't think he is in the finale. Because uh, he I gets his wanna, nose broken. No, no, no. That's a different guy. I just want to mention he's in the movie House Three, in which he uh, stabs a baby in the head. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! You got to look up House Three. He's right now. He, he House Three. A, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm literally watching this. And, and I'm not kidding. I mean, it's just it's one of those few times in a movie where you're like, holy shit, they killed oh, a baby. He's like second bill with Lance <laughs> Henriksen. So let's yeah. go. Yeah. Oh okay, that's got to be wow. a top tier movie. You guys yeah. should wow, check that, that one out. That looks crazy. You should check Absolutely. that one out. I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna watch that. Also, I did not know he's in Scanner Cop, so apparently I'm gonna be watching Scanner Cop at this some is, point. You should just make this a Brian James. Um, yeah, we should. Just, yes. We're gonna rebrand as the Brian yeah, James. Please, show. Yeah. is over. Now it's the Brian yeah. <laughs> Brian James podcast. <laughs> I'll change yeah, my well, name and, and, to, to Brian James from Brendan James. Oh, there you go. 
but yeah, he he is the one who's like abusing them in the the prison where um, Dolph has gotten himself arrested for disorderly conduct to go in there, and obviously they immediately go, "Why are we in prison with like a Russian guy? Like this is fucked up. This guy looks like the poster child for the guy who's like murdering us. Why is he hanging out in here? Yeah, he looks Emmett like the guy literally him. on the propaganda, you know? For <laughs> yeah, I think Emmett's uh, character even mentions that he knows of Nikolai in some way. So I guess he's kind of like a prolific killer of some kind. Yeah. And, 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 but, but of course it is the big Ruski, uh, Dolph who has to knock out Brian James and the guards to prove his loyalty to the rebel cause. Mm -hmm. And this sequence I thought is the strongest one where they, they escape the prison, they hijack a truck, um, and by hiding in the back of it and Dolph has to actually use a bayonet to rip his way through the top of it, climb on top and actually kick his way into the driver's seat, which kicks off like a full chase gunfight with doors being blasted off like mm -hmm. Emmett Walsh hanging out the side of the windows yeah, blasting you know firing a shotgun to the tune of Little Richard which and, is just you know, a straight predator rip off of that needle drop yeah I, well, and, I mean I thought it was like it, it was also a rip off of um, the Raiders of the Lost Ark yeah I was gonna uh, say scene, yeah which is in a great way hundred like that yeah, it was to like me, a I diet was, version of it and it, and it wasn't in that yeah like you said it's not in a bad way yeah, it's a very, I mean, it's definitely, to me, that's like, it felt like very, uh, probably like economical given like the constraints they were working with. But yeah. I was very entertained by that because it's also like, again, more scenes where Dolph is doing stuff like that and not talking is like the better. Yeah. And he honestly, I, I think he's got like, it seems like 10 lines in this whole film. He's really used <laughs> as just a, just the muscle. Uh, yeah. he's, yeah, he's, 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 he's used in the same way Arnold used to be used where it was like you, yeah. you are there because you have a, like a very striking image that you fit and this it even, is like, you are a physical specimen to watch, do what you do. Yeah. This even has the like commando finale where he's got yeah. the war paint on and he's like the headband and his muscles are out and you know, his shirts cut up and everything. And there's just explosion after explosion and, and a whole base being destroyed. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it does very yeah, much. The, they're like tanking through the roadblocks. They're throwing grenades at motorcyclists and like flipping them. And there's cameras actually attached to the vehicles and the mirrors and the tires mm -hmm. while they like flip and explode. So like, mm -hmm. despite the fact that the writing and the drama of this is still pretty like C grade Boring. evil Republican fantasy. Mm -hmm. That is also kind of like on a character level, so generic and you've seen it before that you can't get a whole lot out of it. Yeah. Zito 100% in terms of conceiving actual action set pieces, the flow of them where the camera should be actually finding like dramatic gestures and like how a character is like, Oh, I need to actually, you know, th there is a point where speaking of like the, the Raiders bit and, you know, he doesn't go underneath the truck like stagecoach style, but there mm -hmm. is a part where he actually, has to like jump his yeah. way off the truck onto a cycle and yeah. then actually crash the cycle back into the truck so he can hop back into the truck and it's like you know like that is actually you know there is some physical pretty incredible stunt work being mm -hmm. done and you know some pretty massive you know on top of the massive sort of expensive destruction work that both of these films had because it's actually worth noting both of these films share the fact that they both started out as like six to eight million dollar movies and both ended up being almost 20 million dollar movies <laughs> yeah. so Apparently, both of these movies are actually more expensive than they should have been and you know, graciously enough you can kind of see it in the action scene specifically yeah yeah What's i will also say though, that like oh, oh, 
I just want to say that I thought that like the landscape was also in Red Scorpion. It really is like honestly worth watching alone just for a lot of the um, places oh, yeah, that they set this in. I was pretty <laughs> surprised because it's. I mean, it's that's like, what like, I was saying earlier. But I was like, it, like the the how they did that is incredibly evil. But like yeah, it actually exactly. does <laughs> yes, kind of pay off. Like like the location yeah. work and really filming on these military bases and really filming in these deserts. Like it leads to some actually very nice looking like, imagery. I would, I would but, love but, but, but to in read. the back of your head, you're like, oh my god! Like the only reason they could possibly do that is because of all the murdering. Where if they were to pan the camera, you could see it. You know, it I would love to, to read choices. a Don DeLillo book set on like the set of this movie. Absolutely. (laughs) It is due, it is wild, like due to these really controversial and pretty horrible choices too, that that's the reason they had all these delays and had to spend 10 million extra dollars. So yeah, they kind of, they paid for it at least a little bit in karma, I guess. Yeah, so they definitely put it on themselves, but yeah, no, Noah's totally right. Like one of the er- f- things that's so striking about the movie is like some of the actual vistas, like mm-hmm. the, the sequence, the part of the film when he starts to be seduced by like the freedom-loving ways that you know he doesn't <laughs> understand. Mm-hmm. It's like Emmett Walsh just swearing a lot and like talking about cheeseburgers and beer. That's the mm-hmm. one side of it, but the other side of it is Kintash's love for his homeland, which is being terrorized, you know, by Dolph's comrades, mm-hmm. and you know their their huts are being burned down by men in silver hazmat suits and they're Mm -hmm. dropping some sort of chemical oil weapon on their skin which brendan was alluding to earlier Mm -hmm. with the was a yellow yellow rain rain. or whatever they called it yeah and you know and having their children murdered in cold blood in order to psychologically break the adults who might rebel is something that they mentioned is one of their one of their tactics and so the relationship with kintash and you know his idea of like you know one day this oppression will end and this land will be returned to us and the beauty of the land is probably Probably one of the only sort of successful directorial choices to actually get you involved in that. You do kind of go, wow, this is a beautiful place. These are amazing vistas that Dolph is hanging in. And when he eventually does do his like elemental, I'm going to, you know, actually become one with it in some way. You know, there there is at least a little bit of imagery to back it up, even if dramatically it's still pretty trite. Mm-hmm. Trite, yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's interesting because that was the word Brendan got at all of that. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I, I liked the set pieces. I was very bored in yeah. every other moment of the movie. I thought I thought there were some too. interesting contrasts with um, with Red Dawn because. Um, as we've discussed at this point, you know, Red Dawn perhaps failed, but tried to do something a little bit more interesting. I I thought it it was definitely fascinating how Red Scorpion does the exact opposite of Red Dawn with the uh, Ron O'Neill character, making the Cubans completely obsequious and more bloodthirsty than the Russians. Whereas Red Dawn had the Russians as like, as like the, um, the empire from star Wars and the Cubans were a little bit more, you I know, think that like if anything, that's the influence of the South Africans because well, they really fucking well, hated the Cubans. That, so that's what I wanted to, uh, uh, to underline is the reason probably is, is that the lobby that this film answers to is directly fighting Cubans in the war, even more than the Soviets. They have to put the Soviets in cause that makes it seem like it's an empire against them which it was mm-hmm. not but um the, but the cubans are the ones who actually talked the soviets into supporting the progressive forces inside of angola and then later namibia so they really make the cubans that's that the guy who sticks eight different knives in um in Dolph one Lundgren. of the best scenes in the movie though yeah, you have oh, it's to great. admit it, oh, it, yeah. it's cool yeah. but but that guy's cuban and unlike the the red dawn thing where he's like you know man should i be should i really be lending my talents to this particular mission he's like just a 
absolutely bloodthirsty, you know, like, like psychopath. the, The Soviets are definitely shown as to be more just like pragmatic and practical and, uh, and intelligent. Whereas you're right. Like that, that guy has a much more maniacal sense to him and he's almost like laughing as he's torturing Dolph and all of that. So yeah, that, that, that that is like such a specific detail from that rare moment in the eighties where, you know, really shooting men and their bodies in the mm-hmm. way that they do it at, at that time actually fit into like the dramatics of the scene that was taking place. Sure. Because that's when that that's when Dolph is like actually handed back because we'll we'll get into, you know, some of the, you know, how he get makes his way to the camp, how he fails his assassination. He gets recaptured and everything like that. But he's actually being at that point tortured by, you know, the the, the Soviets are disappointed in him that he, you know, failed his mission at being the perfect killing machine and the pride of the Soviet army and they are punishing him uh, for doing that by handing him over to the Cubans where they hand him to the needle specialist who and like it's a whole ministry in the erotically charged Cuban needle specialist though who's he, he not only he's he's finding little fleshy parts of him that he can find that aren't the the the, the two spots that aren't like rock solid on his body <laughs> and they're being like I'm gonna pierce you with this needle and he's doing things like I can stick this into you all night long, you know, and, you know, (laughs) and like, it's, it's, it's so insane. And it's also worth noting that Zito longtime friend of Tom Savini. And so Tom Savini is actually doing the gore makeup on this as well. Of the needles actually going through his bicep and going through his neck and everything like that. It does. It it, it looks looks so good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like that one, that first one he does where he goes through his, his pec on the right side. Like it's like it, it, kind of looks real honestly it's really good makeup yeah work. i mean it, it again doesn't compare to joseph zito and tom savini the gore effects they would do on like a friday the 13th but it's oh, again yeah. it's one of those gestures that does make its way into the movie and you do see it in the finale a little bit too when he's like yeah. blowing entire arms off and you know things mm-hmm. like that eventually happen too this is a this is a nastier like r-rated action movie oh yeah in, in, in comparison to and red then, dawn which is trying to pick up a kid audience and yeah. then you get back to dialogue like everything breaks down in africa in, yeah, what a line. It's just like, well, then why are you pouring money into it to your well, fascist government then? Why don't you just get the and, hell out? And also followed up by looks like the killing machine is breaking down yeah. when no, no, they're trying to that's, talk. That's what causes him. He says, looks like the killing machine is breaking down. That's what M.M. Walsh says. And he goes, don't worry. Everything breaks down in Africa. So it's like, is this, what is he? What is, the yeah. dialogue is just, is his choice. <laughs> um, well, and, and, and I love too that he's literally just like saying out loud what we are seeing, which is that, you know, oh, yeah. Like he is, he's looking at the massacres that his superiors are ordering and just like feeling sad, realizing who the real oppressors are. And it's just so funny to have M. Emmett Walsh on the side of that scene be like, looks like the killing machine is breaking down. Fascist, (laughs) fascist realism. It is just literal. You have to literally say what's going on and then embrace the violence. Yeah. How how the fuck am I supposed to know? And it's just great because I mean, the idea that the Soviets were leveling villages in any country in Africa, just, just total Fantasia. Um, (laughs) and it's, it's supposed to be, this is Afghanistan, but we're putting it in the other country, you know? And, And again, with the chemical, we don't have to go on about it, but the chemical warfare scene, which is like a big, you know, moment to hate the, 
Yeah, I get it. Like a dramatic moment, you want to hate them. Well, yeah, they're leaning into like the full psycho yep. fantasy horror yes. of these people yeah, decimating guys, the It's not just Africans. being it's not just being sprayed by chemical by, by chemical agents. And there's guys in hazmat suits, as you pointed out, who go in manually. lighting them on fire after. Yeah, uh, <laughs> not only I mean, yeah, the Soviets seems is, like overkill. <laughs> not only did they not do that in Afghanistan, they certainly did not do that in any country in Africa. Uh, complete and total projection of what the Americans did in Southeast Asia. And again, that's that's why they love showing it. That's why they love pretending like, well, and, and, we and, and it gets to use the vocabulary it. of Vietnam movies Correct. a little bit too, right? Like it's, 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 it's just, it's a, a it's a greatest bit. hits. Not it's a, a greatest bit. hits. It's everything. It's, it's complete. It's just taking everything that got used against the Americans for decades and going, now we get to use it. Cause it's, I mean, it turns out it really so, makes you hate the villains when, when you, people do these things. So I do think that like between Red Dawn and this, like the, there's, there's a lot of helicopter obsessions. So like no. you know, at Scorpion, you see a lot of Soviet helicopters get blown up and it's very Afghanistan heavy. And then alternate, alternately in Red Dawn, you have the first conflict of the movie is the American, uh, like when they, when they're getting out of town and they're saved by an American combat helicopter that blows up a Soviet position. Mm-hmm. And right. that is like the first thing you see. And it's like, holy shit, like the Huey got something done, you know, like that's the, mm-hmm. I think that, I think that to me is like the thing it's supposed to convey. Like it's very, you know, anti platoon, so to speak. And, um, you know, I like it's, it's, I think here it's, it's just red, red square was the other end of that dialectic of just like, yeah, like this is, this is now also where we are showing the maximalist like portrayal, like, you know, like the, the, the imagery of the, the stinger, um, you know, like as an archetype in the, in, uh, in right wing discourse, like really fucking like blows up here. So and in fairness, both the Mujahideen and Savimbi both got stingers. So, oh yeah. You know, they're, they're but again, this the, isn't, this is not about Angola though. This no. is about what's it called? I don't know. Well, it's, I mean, it is about Angola, but it is, it, it is about Afghanistan as well. I mean, it, like we said, it's, it's just, it's a fever dream. You know what this, also this is, is about Africa and Afghanistan? Mm-hmm. What? Metal Gear Solid Five fan pain. Oh, that's true. That's true. The, it is essentially, it is actually the same because it's Zaire, um, Angola border region, right? In, in Metal yeah. Gear Five, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so yeah it's, it's all about MPLA Angola. Exactly. So, yeah, if, if anyone wants a uh, vastly more, somehow more accurate depiction of the conflict, uh, even though there's a giant robot that uh, swings a whip around, just just play the Phantom Pain uh, and, and, and then watch You'll learn Scorpion. more from Kaz Miller's monologues. Absolutely. Yeah, Hideo Kojima should have ended up writing a movie like like one of, one of these at some point. Don't make me think of what, what could have been. <laughs> Yeah, but 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 most of this I will say like after the breakout sequence and after, you know, like them making their way to the actual rebel village and Dolph starting to learn the error of his ways and everything. The movie does kind of feel like it slows down a bit yeah. for me, especially in like that last hour or so. Oh yeah. Um it it, it it can't keep up that momentum of like the just like having, you know, doing like a raiders chase in your first like 30 minutes and then all of a sudden, you know, it it, it sticks more in the realm to him being imprisoned and, or having like funny you know sort of like action movie star beats like when he tricks that guard to get closer to him and then like with a single hand lifts him off his feet and smashes his head into the bar so he can get the keys and go out and he does that so he can break out and perform his assassination mission but he's obviously caught before he can do so and uh I, I kind of thought that they were, you know, this would be like they would torture him or they would kill him. But no, they are the people that don't do that kind of stuff. So they actually just like throw him back to his own people as a symbol of humiliation, uh, which is when then he gets homoerotically tortured by by his own uh, his his own men. Um, 
but of course, at that point, he's like, well, I don't I can't trust anybody. You know, I, I so he needs to break out for the second or third time. This is the third time, actually, because <laughs> he breaks out of his own guards when he's undercover. Then he breaks out uh, while with the rebels. And then he breaks out like in earnest from his actual government who's torturing him. And uh, so three breakouts for Dolph Lundgren. And what follows for like the finale is basically it's there's, there's two parts to this. It is the epic nighttime desert cross like direct to video Lawrence of Arabia, um, <laughs> where he is stung by a bunch of poisonous scorpions and needs to be reborn with like ritual medicine of the indigenous Bushmen and learns how to live off the land and spear a warthog. And I, I, it's I, how it, you know the he, movie's not racist, I think, personally. Well, well, yeah, no, he smokes scorpion crack. So like, you know, of course, you know, like that's just he's good. And then he gets tattooed with like a titular, the titular red scorpion yeah. on his chest as a symbol of respect for the primal land that he's now become one with. He, of course, gets to throw away his dog tags. He's been deprogrammed as the killing machine. And meanwhile, while all of that is happening, you know, obviously the evil communists who don't respect the land or its people and, and are machine like they escalate their unnatural assault on the rebels. And that's when they're like mortaring and gunshipping their bases, like straight up using, I think a lot of the similar gunships from obviously Rambo, Rambo three as well, <laughs> which yep. speaks to Brendan's point that this is also meant to be just Afghanistan. Um, yeah. And, you know, just getting kind of a little bit of a monotonous destruction montage of like straw roof structures, just it's massive explosions. Yeah. Uh, but it's just, you know, it's all, yeah, it's just that's the same shot over and over again, like dirt and smoke plumes and you stun know, guys on jump pads. And uh, although I will say, no, I have to ask you about this. Where did you watch this movie? Because that bit where you watched the uh, the goats being blown up, <laughs> I watched it on Amazon. I watched it on Amazon Prime, and I just was that really the, the subtitle? Yeah. I posted, yeah, That's so I posted, incredible. like, I, I don't believe I my tweets. This will still be up, uh, assuming Twitter is still up by the time this comes out. Um, <laughs> but uh, let me see. I just want to make sure. Yeah, so I said mood. So search mood for me. And I and I said, it's in the subtitle, it says goats crying in desperate horror. And then <laughs> continued cries as the goats existentially face their fate. Um, so here's the thing, though, is that I think this movie was re-released by Troma. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, like, my guess is that they did the, the, you know, and they do cheeky, you know, more knowing subtitle yeah. tracks. Yeah. So that's my guess is that, like, because I don't think that this was a, I don't think that this was a creative masterstroke for the people at Amazon, but it did, you know, it, it was, it was a good tweet. It was good fodder for the, for the, for the internet. That's yeah, I was so like, funny. my subtitles did not have that, and it. But I was, you know, I was definitely. It, it made sense watching these images. Of these I mean, it is really fucked up because now screen. that I'm actually looking at these pictures, in these pictures, all the goats are just like huddled in terror in the corner closest <laughs> to the camera, like, yeah. like you know, far away. Like, while they're just like these massive explosions in the background, like a burning tank. And oh, yeah, burning and you know that there was no regulations on this movie. Joseph Zito wouldn't have fucking given a shit. He was like, no, give me. This. He was like, give me all of. The the South African yeah, basically, military basically, equipment. Like, Let me just blow I your land up There's just like a, a ton of trauma in these goats. No, no. Yeah. The one thing that the apartheid government really cared about was the goats, right? Uh, the animal rights goat uh, status. Exactly. On, on, on the film, that was priority. That was priority <laughs> the one, one thing they cared about. <laughs> yeah. Would you guys think of uh, yeah. Dolph arriving at the village and everyone praises him like he's Jesus, just surrounding him? Yeah. Let's like kick healer. some ass. Yeah. Yep. yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, then then you're getting into the. I mean, obviously, White Savior. I mean, it's kind yeah. of it's kind of amazing. Um, I mean, but, I, it, it is like a movie where too like it. Um, like it's kind of st- like to me it felt like like the reason I kind of liked it more than I liked Red Dawn as a viewing experience was just because like it did it, uh, like even for all like the unpleasant moments and stuff like it just washed over me um <laughs> like it's really like very uh yeah. you know I don't know it's like a it's like an it's like an anti picaresque or something like it's not funny but there is this kind of like weird hero's journey that we're following with this guy who doesn't really talk and there's not really any reason we're made to believe that he's likable, you know, but yeah, we're yeah. like, it's, but it's also, but he's, he's helping the good guys, but is he? And it's, it's very, uh, yeah, I, I found it's it so like confused a kind of, that it's like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, for, but it's also, for but good, then, you know, that's in contrast to like these like incredibly, you know, much like Red Dawn and, and, and these kind of, again, like, you know, as we've been harping on, like these hyper literal representations of existing political, you know, of, of somewhat real, uh, mm-hmm. political yeah. situations. Um, yeah, it's just uh, like, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. It's like hyper ironized already. Like as you experience, like, there's no other way that I can experience it at this point mm-hmm. in time. Like it's, it's, I do well, love it. Like for that, no, like it's, it's like no a kind of object cold. for that reason. It's no stone and, Well, cold. nothing is stone cold. Nothing is stone cold. Fair. I was, I was hoping, work. I was hoping for a bit more, especially with someone like Zito at the helm. But yeah, um, it, it, yeah he's it, got, he's, well, but 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 I will say, like, for, for ways that you could argue is either a positive for the film or a negative for the film, I think that the thing that Red Dawn did lack, which was by the end of the film, mm-hmm. getting to the destruction mm-hmm. and actually feeling the maybe morally repugnant catharsis mm-hmm. you're meant to feel mm-hmm. about this journey that he's gone on and the, you know, the level of revenge that he's getting, like, this blows the finale of Red Dawn out of the water in terms of, you know, like, shooting the big evil guy and you just kind of feel nothing and, you know, Patrick Swayze turns a corner and, like, yells something and that's it and then it's over um, because that movie is obviously also more interested in, like, the somber image of him and the brother on the bench holding each other and that kind of stuff. This does lean full out into just the 80s let's kick some ass yeah. Dolph Lundgren killing machine now on the other side of of you know the the fight and that incredible image of him in the camo shorts and war paint like <laughs> going around just like shotgunning Cubans left and right yep. Go, at one point going head to head in a stare down with a tank yep. and then lifting <laughs> a truck with his bare hands using the pure strength and his belief in defeating communism so that he can grab a cannon so that he can then slap the cannon that then blows up the tank. And And there's also like, I got to say the editing on that sequence with the truck is like one of the most blatant, like, you know, uh, like there's really, really there's nothing clever about it. it you know it really is the like oh whoop his hands are here oh whoop but the truck's being raced here oh whoop but his hands are here and I was like kind of <laughs> hoping for a little bit more tension because you know Emmett you know Emmett Walsh's life was on the line mm-hmm. true yeah I uh, there there was one I I did like too that was kind of creative where the guy is holding the the big like anti tank grenade that's going to explode the whole upper floor with with Dolph involved as well. And so instead, he just shoots his arm off so that he can't actually pull the like grenade <laughs> pin or whatever. Yeah, he has to crawl towards his own gory, dismembered arm holding the grenade to try and throw it, which yeah. obviously he can't get to in time. And then he just fucking explodes inside the building, already littered with like blood so, mist and the machetes that Dolph has been throwing around and whatever else. Yeah, and he's been one handing this like giant machine gun that is, I guess, some like it's a historical 
uh, artifact of some kind or something. It's like pro- propped up in the in the yeah. Soviet office. Um, yeah, that is definitely meant to be the Rambo part two when he's holding the gun and shooting the supercomputer. And that's uh, the difference, literally right? it's murdering like, intelligence because it doesn't have as much, I guess, like sentimentality. It's able in this finale and in other parts two to be a little bit more 80s maximalist and cartoonish, which does have its entertaining value, of course. It's just I agree, though, that it, the, like everything in between did bore the shit out of me. The action stuff is fun because, you know, it's just it's yeah. fun to watch stuff explode. And when they get creative with it every once in a while, it's it's interesting to see what a director comes up with. But, um, yeah, yeah, it's just everything. Well, in between. The, 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 yeah, I would say that's just it is that I, you feel like Milius was more invested in the stuff between the action and with some of the scenes mm-hmm. with the kids and with scenes like that execution scene or the hunting scene or some mm-hmm. of these, you know, Patrick Swayze holding another kid and telling him to cry and and use that cry and turn it into anger and hatred so he can get, re, you know, revenge and that, that yeah. kind of stuff. Like it felt like Milius had more investment in some of the dramatics there, whereas Zito literally has no interest in this film beyond how it serves the you know crazy destructive spectacle and the sort of hyper violence that he likes and so like that's just it is that if it depends on what kind of stuff you're more into when you watch a movie like this i do think that red scorpion could play better to people who just want to get the lizard braid going and see a guy's arm get blown off and see a tank explode and because this in in terms of the pure action zito is doing a better job than that film but yeah everything else in between is uh, a mix of incredibly generic uh and incredibly evil at the same time (laughs) and and the other thing i'll say is that like you know one of the things i I really don't like about red dawn is i very i hate the like schmaltzy uh like wide shots of like the American planes. Um, and Jesus, like, man, to me, you fucking hate all the parts that are about like hunting and uh, trees and, and I'm a fucking uh, Eagle scout, man. I love nature. I've been, you know, I spent two, like, I, I like, you know, I have nothing. Well, then you're just jealous. You wish this happened. No, I'm not you, jealous. Clearly. I just think that it's like fucking, <laughs> it's like the most, like it's, it's like beyond, vin- it's it to me. It's like, yeah, that's like, like motel eight, like wallpaper right. bullshit. It's, it's, <laughs> it's beyond cliche. But it is true that but you, you watch and then you watch like red, red scorpion though. And it's like, okay, these are not like this story and like the beats in this thing. I don't like resonate with me in the same way that like Milius is like, you know, you know, like, like story does, but like as a, as, as a spectacle, I was very much like, I, I was really intrigued and, and look like Dolph Lundgren at that thing. He's like, he's, he, like when he opens his mouth and he's not that charismatic, blah, blah, blah. It is like the, you know, He's crazy to look at, and he's shirtless for so much of it. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say I, a couple of the set pieces. You know, it's it's good. It's it's good. It's a good effort. I was I was also bored. I was in, mind-numbingly bored during the uh, tr- journey into the desert with the Bushmen. Me too. I was I was mm. just like, get on with it, because at that point they cut back to. I don't even fucking remember. Is it Al White they keep cutting back to or so, so, someone else where it's 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 like a B plot and then we keep cutting back to Dolph who should be the A plot. But yeah, he's, they keep cutting back to I think the village is being destroyed while Dolph is going through this like nature transformation. It just kind of, kind of goes yeah. back and forth. Until uh, it just they felt finally so, get to it. so meandering and, and we, we all know what the stock 
you know, uh, plot point is taking place. Yeah, I was gonna say, we all know what the arc is at this point. Like, yeah, we yeah, already know the how thing. evil they're supposed to be. We already know that he he already is having doubts. Yeah. About sorry, it you and, guys like, didn't becoming... like it when, like, every five minutes something else would happen and this, like, really, this, like, old guy Bushman would just go, like, hee, 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 but but <laughs> but you also don't want to leave the audience too much time to think about hmm is this guy an actor or is this someone that the incredibly shady um, Gladio style <laughs> operation has somehow like whisked away from their actual home and has put in this movie because you know uh, I didn't even think of that everyone actually. else in the movie speaks <laughs> English as possible. Like like everyone yeah. else, all, all the people yeah. who are supposed to be Russian and all that, like they oh, all speak English. Oh, that's a bummer to um, think about. I'm just saying, <laughs> uh, we, we can't we can't back away from the fact that it was an evil production. So, well, I don't want to wind true. this down in a bummer though. I wasn't. Yeah, I yeah. mean, let's. Uh, how about um? How about that? Well, we can we, we can end off with, with you know with with Dolph seeing the true enemy of 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 the people and seeing why they fight now and turning that into him exploding his general inside of one Correct. of the giant gunships, which is, which is, which is a fun, a, a fun little moment, yes. even though it is, um, you know, like it, it's straight up as simple as we sent you to aid in an oppressed people. And he's like, but you didn't tell me who the oppressors were. Mm. And he turns on his heel and just fucking explodes him. And f- the incredible f- final gesture of this entire movie is when the movie just ends on him exploding the guy and getting the catharsis for blowing up the general who gave him these shitty orders and walking with all of the rebel fighters and it freeze frames as he's covered in blood walking (laughs) next to them going fucking a like a true American being able to square, you know, being being vulgar. And then you have the little Richard rock music kick back in again during the credits. And over the course of the credits, you can still hear gunfire and explosions going off because they are literally celebrating like starting a glorious war. Oh, yeah. Which is Hell fucking yeah. like a crazy little detail that I <laughs> yeah, don't know. Nuts. Like that, that is one of the most like fascist things included in either of these movies is that like, it's like rock and roll is going to defeat communism. And wow. you know, we've, we've, we've just, we've started it, but now it continues with you, the audience walking out, <laughs> listening to this rock music, a shipment, you know, a shipment of blue jeans arrived in that, in that. Yeah. Jordaki <laughs> jeans just like yeah. showed up at the end. And Dolph Lundgren's <laughs> character is now today, uh, a grizzled commander of the Azov Battalion in Ukraine, um, which is good to know. <laughs> which, which, by the way, did, did you either of you note that 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 thing about? Uh, I can't remember where where I read it. I think it might have been on the Red Dawn page where there was yeah, something was to Red do with Dawn. someone. Yeah, was it Red Dawn? Yeah, where- yeah. The Wolverines is used as graffiti, like in the film, was used. I, I, honestly, I'm not trying to sound silly it really could have been propaganda like a psyop it was supposedly used in ukraine uh, during the russian invasions early months as graffiti like the wolverine yeah it was like spray painted on or something like that it sounds very fishy to me but i suppose it's possible i think that sounds like something cooked up in order to have western audiences recognize a cultural product i think i think it just i don't think it sounds soy at all and it's certainly not soy (laughs) it's Um, not soy at all so uh, yeah, I mean you know Red Scorpion. I does, that's it. You know similar similar to how I brought Josh around a little bit. I I, am, I guess I'm appreciating some of the action a little bit more, but I was um, I was less interested. In Red I Scorpion. give it I give yeah. it a three. 
You're giving it a three. Okay. Oh, okay. We nice. got we got we got the reverse. I'm still kind of hovering around in the same territory. It's just it's reverse. It's reversed. Uh, You're reasons, hovering around though. that Angolan Zaire border territory. That's right. Right in the middle. In a gunship. <laughs> Um, you're just yeah. screaming hi to at them. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm in the, the two territory as well. I just I think the action is is pretty decent. And I do like watching Dolph just. Well, Zito and Tom Savini doing effects work and doing the, mm-hmm. you know, throwing in some of that canon maximalist 80s absurdity. You know, like it's just you're, you're going to get some fun out of that. I think there's, yeah, and I there's some apparently incredibly dangerous actual stunt mm. uh, work here. Dolph mm. apparently did do that stunt going from the motorcycle oh, to the truck. That's always oh, that's awesome. That, that's that's pretty sick. Yeah, that, that sequence is pretty cool. Like having a diet Raiders of the Lost Ark scene is, is pretty badass. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I but, just, but also using South African apartheid government <laughs> military equipment well, to do it while leave, they're murdering people off screen. Let's, you know? leave that out, let's leave that out of the rating because if we have to <laughs> okay. assess it, I mean, if we, this would this would be a zero if we were incorporating exactly. that. Yeah, I guess. Exactly. Morality <laughs> rating zero. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, yeah, the Twilight film, Zone movie is fine, but I can't you know grade it <laughs> on, a, on a fucking human level. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, so yeah, too. Yeah, I really. Just, it wasn't good, action, was it? The I don't know anything is, about what happened in its making, though. Well, let's not for <laughs> Twilight let's not stop. No, he's yeah. Yeah, Did something bad happen when they were, we're making wait, the we're Twilight Zone? We're trying to not end on a bummer. Noah, Noah. We specifically said we're not going to end on a bummer. No, wait. No, <laughs> yeah. are, are, are you kidding? Or I'll tell you after. Or, or do you want me to no, tell wait, you after? No, wait, wait. No, Brendan, tell, tell me. What, wait, I'll, I'll what, what horrible fair. incident okay. could have possibly happened? Okay, so you're kidding around. Okay, so wait. What was... What was uh, fuck Josh's rating? Who 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 who's rating? Josh's two and a half. was a two. Mine was a two. Just for the because action sequences were good and uh, or at least entertaining and um, but just everything in between bored the shit out of me. So and Dolph, uh, yeah, stunning and physical great. specimen. Yes, you know? Love, even even Dolph. if he even if he would become a much better actor over the next like ten years. Yeah, he's innocent. As <laughs> Not him in his prime. Noah. <laughs> No. I gave it a three. I stand oh, by my three. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. true. That's, yeah. It's all up to you, Brendan. You're, uh, deci- you're deciding vote here. I have to... Uh... I'm, I'm gonna give it a two. I'm gonna give it a two. It okay. was, it was. I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement where it, it just felt like there's some things popped, but it's not enjoyable. Uh, you know, the the entire way through for it to sit in the middle. You know, like I would, no. I would, I would not feel the need to. To watch it again or, or to really show other people. I mean, maybe if you got some friends over and you want to watch this type of like, it definitely should be in the rotation if you're if you're um, sampling, you know, the, this kind of era of of B-movie anti-communism. But yeah. Yeah. but beyond but that, play it back to back with like Rambo two or three, though. And I yeah. just I don't think this stacks up. No, um, no. Especially yeah. on a writing or a dramatic level, which is not even something I'd argue that the Rambo movies are particularly great at. It's just like Stallone isn't, you know, he was a better performer around the time that he did those movies he's working with like you know George Cosmatos who's yeah. like you know like a you know he was doing some unparalleled fucking shit in that second Rambo film which we covered like a long time ago yeah. but like you know there's nothing in here quite like Stallone firing an explosive arrow and a, seeing a giant meat puppet like literally <laughs> explode on the other end of the screen yeah. you know there's it, it doesn't quite hit that level this is still B movie or even C C grade in terms of uh, uh, writing knockoff status sure. yeah they needed to cut like 10 minutes off of that desert sequence yeah. especially oh, yeah. um, but. but but as a curiosity of like a genuinely evil production and you know produced and basically written by like a republic an insane republican 
lobbyist. Uh, this it's definitely a curiosity worth checking out. And it was fun yeah. watching the Casino Jack biopic about Jack Abram- Abramoff and actually seeing that they did have to address the existence of this movie. He talks multiple times oh, about because yeah. uh, he didn't like how much swearing movies. there was. Apparently, he thought it should have been more cleaned up and like uh, Christian or well, not Christian, but but um, more like morally um, presentable to to um, the whole family or something like that. That's right. And, and he, he actually started the committee for traditional Jewish values in entertainment as a result of him being annoyed that Zito and Savini made it too gruesome and yeah. vulgar. Noah is the uh, current chair he... of that organization right now. These days. <laughs> oh, oh, am I? Am I? Interesting. That's what you told me. Do you just not want that to be public right now? Because it's you have so much work, your good work you're doing. I won't, I won't bring it anyway, up. Anyway, if, if anyone wants to, to take this as the shot and chase it with the Abramoff biopic, you will get a great moment of Kevin Spacey at one point sitting up at a desk surrounded by the uh, the, the sort of in, indigenous uh, people he was involved with uh, uh, conning and stealing their money for the casinos. Oh, yeah. And at one point he, he stands up in a meeting and goes, let's kick some ass and literally mm-hmm. in Dolph voice. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think he would also <laughs> there is a, quote the Godfather a lot apparently when he was like lobbying people quote unquote lobbying people uh so yeah. he's definitely he was like ralph cifaretto in the sopranos like quoting gladiator all the time just just yeah. uh, he can't help himself yeah yeah so but uh yeah i think that that will wrap it up for uh this week's episode that was red dawn from 1984 and red scorpion from 1988 i am glad that we went into the uh the uh, Republican psychosis uh, meets the maximalist 80s uh, macho action film with you boys today. Yeah, yeah I need to go uh, watch but, uh, like a Kelly Reichert movie or something after this. <laughs> do it. Do it. Uh, but but Brendan and Noah, thanks so much, obviously, for 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 joining us. And I know that uh, you've got a big thing to plug. Is there something <laughs> coming August 25th? Yeah, Pi- maybe. Pipeline is a good word to use, uh, actually, for the season. <laughs> uh, it, it's coming down the pipeline August 25th. Season four of Blowback, which I hope some of your listeners uh, are already fans of. But if they're not, um, our first season was about the Iraq War. Second season about the Cuban Revolution and the Missile Crisis. Third season last year was about the Korean War. And this year we will be talking about the long war, the saga of Afghanistan from the 1980s. Very much the era we were discussing today and the Soviet invasion all the way up to the withdrawal. Uh, And uh, if and if you want to listen to the podcast you can go to blowback.supportingcast.fm and you can or, or just blowback.show if you if you need a shorter or address blowback.show and <laughs> if you sign up and subscribe for $25 you get the whole season all at once and that'll be 20 episodes and uh it's and worth it and the back catalog ad free Absolutely. Yeah. Brendan's right. You get the seasons one through three, uh, all available on a private RSS link. Um, just like I'm sure you guys, the listeners of this listen to Sleezoids. Um, it's really, really, really easy. And, um, it's, you know, how we get to make the show and you get to listen to the whole thing at once. So do that, please. We have a, uh, yeah. we, we have a teaser coming up. That's our first foray into animation. So, uh, cool. probably in, Ooh. in August, you'll, we've worked with the very talented artist, Ben Clarkson. Um, and he, uh, he whipped up a really fun and, uh, pretty spooky, uh, animation for us. So there's yeah, something we decided new we doing. wanted to consider, you know, what would the blowback take on meat spin be like? 
Hell yeah, definitely uh, look into that. And speaking also of, uh, Brendan gave us a perfect segue there with with animation. Uh, We are going to be back in one week's time exclusively over on the Patreon doing our first episode on Ralph Bakshi. We're going to be talking about uh, Fritz the Cat from 1972, I believe, as well as his film Wizards from 1977, because we realized other than heavy metal, we have actually not talked much about the adult animation and independent animation craze of the 1970s and mm-hmm. so Ralph Bakshi is kind of considered you know one of the biggest figures of that and also one of the more controversial and vulgar uh figures of of that as well i actually just got to see a print for a really like a ralph bakshi knockoff film called down and dirty duck about a donald duck who fucks um <laughs> so yeah. i kind of am feel like i'm prepared for uh bakshi who i have only actually only seen like one or two of his films before and not fritz the cat but i, I feel like i'm ready for fritz the cat having seen a a, a b-movie roger corman produced knockoff of fritz the cat and we're we're in for a treat and that's going to set us up for two weeks time where we are actually having our cartoonist friend branson reese um, who uh, selected for his double feature in two weeks' time. We're going to be talking Robert Zemeckis's Roger Rabbit and uh, Cool World, directed by Ralph Bakshi, starring Brad Pitt. Uh, so we are going to go crazy with the uh, cartoon and animation over the uh, next two weeks that you guys can look forward to to uh, listen alongside all of your episodes of uh, Blowback, where you are learning about some devastating history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, that being said, I think that will wrap it up for everything this week. Thanks so much for listening and keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy, everybody.